You're listening to Pitch Perfect, the podcast, not the movie. I'm your host, Nate, and joining me is my co-host, Josh, but you might know him better from his work as the stunt haberdasher on Greatest Showman. That's right. I was in charge of all the hats. They loved it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like a lot of people, I I didn't think this, but I feel like a lot of people, like around, around the time, like the Emmy... An Oscar nom conversation was happening. A lot of people were calling it your consolation prize for not getting the prestige. But I feel like you really made it its own thing. I tried. And I, I mean, I personally think that's why they won all the awards. But, you know, no one credits the haberdasher. Yeah. All right. You want to get into it? Sure. Let's go. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. The infamous hero is now the man of the hour. Ernest P. Worrell. The best in a position to use his amazing powers in a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way, Ernest has assumed the disguise of a simple school janitor with the aspiring goal of not being fired. Please, he's got nowhere to go. That's right. Welcome to The Importance of Being Ernest, where my co-host and I talk about Ernest's incredible legacy and how things might have been a little bit different. If our hero Jim Varney had it returned to his home planet so soon. Yep, you heard it right. This is the first season of Pitch Perfect, a podcast, not the movie. We're going to watch all the Ernest movies, and at the end, we're going to try and pitch our perfect Ernest film. And we are, are we halfway through, or are we more than halfway through? Where are we in the timeline? I believe we are more than halfway through. This is the sixth entry in the Ernest film franchise. If you're not counting uh, Dr. Otto von Gloombeam. Yeah. Okay. So we're in the we're in the home stretch, I think. I don't know. I don't follow sports. We're like real close to like a, what they call you know like a touchdown. If you want to use technical terms, mm-hmm. we're we're about to hit a a hole in one straight to the touchdown zone, and mm-hmm. we're gonna go into sudden death overtime and have a hat trick. Classic three pointer. Strike. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, we watched Ernest Goes to School. Yes, we did. Uh, and, uh, boy howdy, was that a trip. Yeah, this was a weird one, which, if you've listened to any of the other episodes, means it's really a weird one. Because, like, this is weird relative to the movie where Ernest gets electro powers and foils a bank robbery being performed by his perfect doppelganger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's pretty pretty strange. Uh, what do you want to start? Start with uh, rating it? Should I give a little summary? I, for some reason, have completely lost all memory of how this podcast is supposed to go. <laughs> yes, welcome to our podcast, where every week our co-host Nate forgets about how the podcast works. <laughs> I think uh, we should do a summarization and then rate it. And, of course, as always, you're in charge of the summarization, <laughs> which I am content to sit back... Continue to make the hats for the next movie that I'm working on, shush shush, and eat some popcorn. Oh god. So Ernest is a janitor working at a high school. It's the Chickasaw Falls High School uh, somewhere in some state in the United States. And I realize now that, like, I don't totally understand what happened in this movie. So there's, like, a some kind of budget czar who's, in like, making cuts on behalf of the school board, who wants to shut down this school and create kind of like a magnet high school with for the whole district. 
And then for some reason, part of his plan to do that involves passing a new rule that says that everyone that works at the high school has to have a high school diploma. And he singles out Ernest specifically as a person who works there and doesn't have a high school diploma. I don't know if it's ever made clear why he hates Ernest so much or what he's going to get out of getting Ernest fired and how that's going to help him defund the school. But either way, Ernest has to go back to school uh, to get his, finish his senior year, I guess. Because he only really does one, he does, it doesn't even seem like one year of school. It seems like he does like a month of school. Uh, But he struggles because he refuses to study, mostly. He then teams up with the um, science teachers who create a machine to zap his brain to make him smarter, but only lasts for a little bit of time, so he has to keep getting zapped. Being smart makes him arrogant, uh, and then he learns to... The machine breaks down, and his teen friends teach him to study, and he decides he doesn't need the machine. Um, but he also, he's in charge of the marching band, and um, <laughs> the marching band... <laughs> His performance is important for some reason, and Ernest leads the marching band, but also, at the same time, the budget guy tries to, he, like, bribes the football coach into throwing the football game, because if they lose the football championship, they'll be easier to defund. So then Ernest and the marching band and the science teachers drug the football team and replace the football team, and then they win the football game. And Ernest passes the big test, and gets his high school diploma, and gets to keep working at the high school. I guess that's his reward. That's that's the movie. Yep. Also, uh the budget czar does some collusion and mm. gets fired. Yeah, he's it's exposed that he he was trying to um get the coach to throw the game. So they're both fired. But I don't think like the logical thing would be that Ernest replaces the football coach, but I don't think they actually happened at the end of the movie. Nope. The the end of the movie is he gets to keep his job i guess yeah oh this movie is um dense and frenetic and poorly structured which makes it why i sounded like i like had a head injury while i was trying to summarize it because it was hard to keep straight what exactly happened and in what order and why yeah if i didn't watch this movie with you it would sound like you're having a stroke right now as uh it did in with Ernest in this movie Oh god, there's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about in this movie. We were watching it, and you were like, every couple minutes you would be like, oh no, I can't take notes fast enough. (laughs) Yeah, I have the most notes. This is going to be a treat for people who want a longer podcast, let me tell you. Uh, So, let's get into it with uh, the rating. Uh, Do you want to start, or do you want me to go? I'll start, I guess. Uh, this is not my least favorite Ernest movie I've watched so far. I still think, I don't know, I'm actually sort of torn. This might be, I might end up saying that this is equivalent to Rides Again. Because like I said, it's, it's not very well structured. This is like the loosest, sloppiest script and like story structure any of these has ever had. I think part of the things, one of the things that makes movies like, um... Scared Stupid and Goes to Jail, as enjoyable as they are and as, like, easy to digest as they are despite how weird they are, is that they have a they have pretty standard, um, you know, well-worn, uh, efficient story structures. Like, Ernest 
has a clear arc and he has a thing that he wants and like the plot follows logically for as sort of cartoony as the movies are this one doesn't really have that and rise again has more of a coherent plot structure which i think makes it maybe more watchable but this has such a sort of bonkers energy as compared to the sort of more restrained and less likable rides again that i think they ultimately end up kind of evening out and being sort of on the same level for me though i think that ultimately like the zaniness of this appeals to my specific taste more than rides again does so it maybe ends up being slightly on top i me yeah i gave this a two and a half out of five i think i stand by that i think that's my rating for this okay all right i mean you you definitely seem like you uh have some like it's not like a real concrete decision to do that. You're kind of low all over the place. Yeah, I don't really know how I feel about this movie. It, like, <laughs> I I think it's like, uh, you know, there's stuff I like and there's stuff I don't like, and it's just like, it's really making me think about my philosophy of storytelling. You know, this is a this is a weird one for me to to give a hard rating on. Where do you stand? Well, see, I was in your shoes the other night as well after we watched this film. I, uh, you know, had this experience of this crazy, bonkers, formless film, and I enjoyed it in the moment, but walking away from it, separating it from the viewing and seeing it as a whole, I had an epiphany. So before I get to that epiphany, I'm going to give you my final rating, which is a 2. 2 out of 5, a 4 out of 10. Uh, I think this movie is really over-the-top bonkers and kind of haphazardly written. It does too much, but also seemingly ends up shapeless. And in the moment, the sheer craziness can be like laughable in like just the absurdity of it. But at the end of it, it's just directionless, unfocused mess. Now, here's my epiphany. As a clear earnest scholar, as uh, my compatriot is as well, we have watched another film that's on the similar page, in a movie where Ernest saves Christmas. Okay. Now imagine a world, if you will, where Ernest goes to jail and Ernest scared stupid never happened. Imagine that the seemingly must have happened argument between John R. Cherry and Coke Sams and uh, Jim Varney happened sooner, where we got Ernest Goes to Camp, the movie that set up Ernest and his stories. Then we got Ernest Saves Christmas, and then we got Ernest Goes to School. Okay. Because the way this works is in one direction. When Ernest Goes and Saves Christmas, directed by John R. Jerry, he takes a step back from the wackiness of Ernest. He makes Ernest the secondary character. Mm -hmm. He makes... There are wacky moments, but there's a formable plot, and Ernest is just in the background, the force of nature that is there. On the opposite side... And we have Coke Sam's directing Ernest Goes to School. Ernest is at the forefront, and we see the world through Ernest's eyes, and everything is just straight-up bonkers. And I propose to you, fellow Ernest scholar Nate, that these are two sides of a coin. Okay. That is Ernest. Alright, that has not, that's a very interesting um, thesis you've laid out. It does not really elucidate your opinion on the movie. <laughs> Is it a good side of the coin or a bad side of the coin? How are you feeling about this side of the coin? 
it's a bad coin to begin with. Okay. Uh, because this is detracting from the Ernest as a whole, because they're both getting the wrong message from the first Ernest film. Because the first Ernest film, Ernest Goes to Camp, is a complete arcing movie. Okay, so you, okay. Both of them go too far in a direction, but just the opposite direction. So that's what you're saying. Exactly. We have one that goes to the conservative right with uh, Ernest Saving Christmas. And then we have one that goes all the way to the wacky left with Ernest Goes to School, where they're both completely directionless, but on the opposite sides of the spectrum. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. I totally get where you're, where you're coming from on that. And if you put Ernest Goes to Camp in the middle as where those two shape off from, you can see how it detracts from the original format and setup and where these movies differ. And we'll go into it further with Ernest Goes to School as we did with Ernest Saves Christmas, and you might be able to see where I'm coming from. Uh, but that is my epiphany, wherein neither movie culminated in something that went up and improved on the formula, but detracted from the formula in separate ways. Okay, yeah. I totally get that. Alright, so, so what are you giving it? So I gave it a 2 out of 5, a 4 out of 10, the same score I gave Ernest Saves Christmas. Okay, I think that I totally agree with your analysis of this. I do think that I ultimately just end up liking Saves Christmas more. I think I'm more tolerant of them veering in that like wrong direction than I am of them rearing in this wrong direction. But I, I agree with your sentiment. Well, I'm glad that we're in agreement. We might not even need our special guest later on. We shall see. So, we've rated it. Uh, let's get into it. Let's get into the meat of this sandwich. Let's talk about uh, Ernest going to school. As uh, always, let's start with the opening. Uh, how do you feel about the opening of this Ernest movie, Nate? I'll tell you this, Josh, I don't remember it. Like, I mean, does this have an opening credits? What I'm remembering is the, the like, beginning of the movie is this, like, sequence, like, introducing us to the school, where there's, like, this school fight song about their team, the Muskrats, but I don't necessarily... Yep. is, But it doesn't have, like, a, a opening credit sequence like the other movies, does it? No, it does not, and that's uh, a very low point for me. So the song that you're referring to, uh, I think, is called "Hail to the Muskrats," mm -hmm. uh, the song of their uh, people, sports team, the Muskrats, some of their people. Uh, and we see the Chickasaw Falls school location. We get like the you know, word credits where we just see the names of the actors, etc., yeah. and so forth. But we don't. This isn't an earnest opening. This isn't what we've come to enjoy and appreciate from the earnest film. You know. We've come off the high of once there was a man named Worrell. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm surprised that there's nothing like that here when we just got off of a film where the high point of it, essentially, was the opening credits. And then they just completely abandoned what's been a recurring, uh, you know, element of... Well, I guess Goes to Camp doesn't really have one. In a way that, No, like, but Goes to Camp is the baseline. yeah. This one makes more sense as a... No. I was going to say this makes more sense as a sequel to Goes to Camp uh, than it does as, like, a sequel to the other Ernest films that have come in between. But it would be a really weird sequel to Goes to Camp. It's, it would be very much like The Secret of the Ooze or Gremlins 2, The New Batch, to Goes to Camp's Ninja Turtles and Gremlins. I mean, I actually agree with that, though. 
that's like part of my theory. You know, if you think about one going to the left, one going to the right, Ernest Goes to School could be a straight up sequel. It's just in the other direction. Yeah. But it's also that sort of, for me, right, like I, with both of those examples, those are ones where I like the the denser, wackier sequel more than the original. But I definitely don't feel that way here. Me either. I think I've rated Ernest Goes to Camp the highest so far. Uh, Goes to Camp is my second favorite so far, but my favorite is Goes to Jail. Like, Goes to Jail is kind of that too, right? Like, it is kind of the densier, wackier sequel. But it's just much more focused and, and better executed. Agreed. Definitely agreed. But let's get back to the Ernest Goose's School. So we don't really have an opening. What a bummer. Yeah. Now, this credit sequence is also taking place over us seeing Ernest. And what is Ernest doing as we take a look at this uh, titular, wonderful character that we've known to grow and love? Does it start with him fixing the toilets? No. No. Oh, he's just... He, this. Is, wow, but he's, like, walking around... He's, a. Uh... He's got, like, a waxer. What is he doing? He's got some kind of machine, right? Oh, my God. I cannot hold the shape of this movie in my head at all, Josh. You're going to have to walk me through, like, a child. Like, I'll remember things as they happen, but, like, everything is jumbled up in my brain. Worse so than when we were doing Scared Stupid. Oh, man. This is going to be a treat. All right. Uh, So, first things first. I'm the realist. Shout out to Iggy Azalea. Mm -hmm. Secondly. She's not in this movie. Ernest goes. (laughs) No. No. No, she's not. Maybe I should change my score down lower. Anyway, <laughs> Ernest is wandering through the school as we see over these credits, uh, just trailing some kind of contraption behind him that looks like if you turned a beer keg into a vacuum. Yeah. It's classic Ernest craftsmanship thing that he just is dragging around the entire campus. He's waving to students. He's saying hi to everybody. There's a radio DJ on the intercom. Yeah, this kid this this kid ends up being like one of the supporting characters even though there's really not much to him. Uh but he is definitely they definitely told this kid try to be Robin Williams. For sure. And Ernest eventually makes his way to the football stadium. Uh where he gets trampled. He is getting trampled by an incoming team of players heading for the locker room uh who just seemingly don't give a shit. That they are trampling over a human being. But he, he is, he's smooshed completely flat like a cartoon man. Like, like a Mr. Mr. Bill. Bill, if you will. <laughs> uh, and then that's like immediately, like that very early on the movie establishes like, this is a, if this isn't a cartoon world, Ernest is at least a cartoon. More so than he's ever been in any of the other movies. Like he is just fully a, a Looney Tune wrought in flesh and blood here. A hundred percent, because when we actually see him, and it pans down to Ernest's body that has been trampled, we see, I want to say like a like a crash test dummy body with like the head removed, and then we see Ernest's face poking out from what is clearly a rubber like covering that he pokes his face through, that is supposed to be the the street or the the ground they're walking on. Yeah, it's sort of like, um, you know, if you go to, like, you know, an amusement park or fucking a pumpkin patch, and there's, like, that wooden cutout where you put your head through the hole, and it's like, oh, I'm a buff guy or a goat or something. 
It's like they made one of those, but of Ernest's flat body, and then they laid it down on the ground, and he got under it and poked his face through the hole. That's how they sort of achieve this effect. And let me tell you, it looks awful. <laughs> like, like the way I described it is the way it looks. Yeah, I would. I thought that it was charmingly cruddy. Like, I, I, they had a problem, and they figured out how to solve it. And sure, it's not, it's not industrial light and magic. It's not the Jim Henson creature shop. But we got what they were going for. I think that's a, a fair assessment. It's not Weta. <laughs> I can't. I don't know any other effects shops. So I can't keep doing this. It's okay. Uh, so yeah, that's a fair assessment. Especially uh, we've probably talked about this a bunch in previous episodes, but this movie uh, had a limited theatrical release and was straight released straight to DVD. So it definitely feels straight to DVD. No, sir. This went straight to VHS. Oh shit! I'm I'm showing my millennial side. I so just for background, this was one of the ones uh, that I would watch on VHS, like with my dad back in the day. And as a kid, I thought this movie was extremely funny uh, and liked it a lot. I it does not uh, necessarily hold up. Uh, definitely not as an adult, but maybe it does hold up as a kid's movie. I don't know. I, I guess I could find it. I don't even really know a kid young enough. <laughs> I could show him this movie. Take a note, Nate. Uh, we need, for the podcast, you to find a kid, uh, show him this movie, and uh, did we ever buy that new door for our, uh, our secret room? Uh, I just put a poster from Speed Racer up over it. Perfect. So, take a note. Uh, you're in charge of that for the next week. Alright, moving on. Okay. Ernest recovers from this tragedy, uh, a la Mr. Bill, just moves on. And he takes his uh, contraption to the football player locker room, uh, where he does classic Ernest uh, giving them advice that they don't need, uh, which is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, He tries to, quote, give them the benefit of his vast years of experience and open the vault of giant football savvy. Uh, The players, which include lovable goof Will Sasso, and uh, another character who, uh, actor I don't recognize who become recurring characters as bullies for Ernest. They call yeah. him a tomato head. Mm-hmm. Classic, classic burn. Does, yes. That definitely makes sense. And mm-hmm. tell him that they don't need his advice because they've won every single game that year. Uh, and Ernest says, even though you won, you got to do this and do that. And they laugh at him and give him the old get out of here, you crazy buffoon. Yeah, so Will Sasso really, he does not do, I mean, he's a bully, but he's like, this is not a, this is a young Will Sasso. This is not a real showcase of his talents. But I do want to, you know, shout out to Will Sasso because uh, he's great. And I'm excited every time I see him in anything. Agreed. Uh, I enjoy the presence of Will Sasso. But this thing here where he gives them the advice is, starts a, uh, a precedent in this movie. Where it's like, for some things, the movie is very concerned with trying to cleanly set up and pay off things. Mm -hmm. And then for other things, it doesn't give a shit about set up and pay off. So this first scene, he gives them the advice, and this sets up this thing where he's like, ah, they used to call me crazy legs. And that is paid off. 
But then lots of other stuff in the movie does not get that care and attention. It's just kind of tossed off and left to flounder in the void. This is true. So this is the first of many. So then we have this, again, another like pinpoint of my theory from earlier. We have this thing where Ernest transitions from talking to the jocks to either talking to himself or talking to the audience. Yeah, it's unclear if he if he if he could be talking to himself. He could be talking to the audience. He could think he's still talking to the jocks, but they're just not paying attention to him. But he goes off on his own and is monologuing while he does like a comedy slapstick routine where he's fixing the toilets, which is very reminiscent of the sort of opening scene uh, after obviously after the flashback of Ernest Goes to Camp, where he is talking directly to the audience. And he has a comedy slapstick sequence while he tries to fix some toilets. Mm-hmm. Again, classic way to view as a direct sequel to Ghost Camp. Or they ran out of ideas. Or they ran out of ideas. I will also concede that. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Ernest, while he talks to the audience about solving football problems, goes towards a leaky faucet and decides that to fix it, he needs to just cover it in black tape. Yes. Which seems like a thing that should should be a setup with a payoff, where he does something by with tape later. That doesn't happen though. Nope. Uh, he then goes off to the side, uh, does this like it was hard to catch. It was like he does this like accent of some character he's trying to pull, and I thought it was like about uh, crazy legs, but I'm not sure. Did you catch that? No, not at all. Okay, moving on. The sink threatens to explode, and then the entire piping comes out. And then he has to push it in, and then push it out, and then the toilets move with it. And then the sink pike explodes as Ernest is rambling on. Uh, he does a funny bit where he has to march through the pushing water by, like, you know, putting his hands forward, and then uses a plunger to yeah. cover it. Does a classic uh, snicker. <laughs> and then the wall starts exploding and pushes him into a stall, which then also explodes. And here is <laughs> something that baffled both of us. As we were watching, where it cuts to directly above the stall, and we see a fountain of water shooting up Ernest's own hat, when previously he was just sitting upon a toilet. Yeah, like the hat is is bouncing up and down on the top of the water spout. And so we were like, is is this coming out of his mouth? Is the joke supposed to be that the water shot up all the way through his butt, through his mouth? Is this supposed to be shooting out of the top of his head, like fully a cartoon character, or or like what is happening? <laughs> and they never cut back to Ernest in that sequence, so that is a totally unresolved mystery of uh, how that water spout <laughs> is interacting with Ernest's physical body. I mean, either it came up from the entirety of his back and pushed the head up, or it came out of his mouth, or like there, are, it's just it's really hard to imagine what the hell actually happened. So many yeah. questions. But they judiciously cut away from that. They cut away back to the radio disc jockey, uh, who, like you mentioned earlier, his name is Rodney. Uh, he does a bit about uh, a missing snake and like does this, like I think, um, reference like classic radio TV shows. Radio TV shows. Listen to me. Uh, millennial Shide is showing again. At least you didn't say podcasts. <laughs> radio shows where uh, it's like, oh no, a dramatic thing is happening. Tune in next week to see if I survive this snake. Yeah, but there's no like they don't they don't we don't get to see him fight a snake or anything. 
No, because it's not. There's not actually. He's just doing a bit. Yeah. Which I think I thought that was fine. That's a that's a good reference to that kind of stuff. Uh, we we need radio shows like that back in our lives. I think. But they want this character to be funny so bad. Like, he is clearly supposed to be, like, the other source of comedy. Well, there's sort of, like, three sources of com- like, characters that are supposed to be the the comedic, like, uh, initiators in this movie. And it's Ernest, the science teachers, and this radio host guy. And he's doing this, like, mm-hmm, hey, eyebrow-raisy, like, stand-up comedy thing. And it, uh, it sucks. It's not good. <laughs> No, it's not good. And I, I don't know if it's, like, meant to be not good, because he's supposed to be, like, a loser kid. But then he's, like, never picked on throughout the movie, so I have no idea. But that was, like, such a thing in, like, the 90s, was this, like, person that talks like they're doing cheesy stand-up comedy all the time. I mean, like, the Ninja Turtles are kind of that, or, like, Mikey specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost none of those characters are appealing. <laughs> At least he doesn't say anything gross, but it's just, like... Every time he opens his mouth, he's like, ah, I'm doing a joke. And it's like, ah, stop, please. Uh, so this leads to another overshot of the school. Uh, students walk through the halls. And then it cuts to the principal meeting with a guy whose name that we never learn, I think, but is Wikipedia and IMDb listed as Mr. Axwell. Yeah, I guess, he must just, I, there are lots of characters who we just did not know their names while we were watching the movie, because I we either they said it and it was just so tossed off that we missed it, or they just never say their names. Mm-hmm. That's most characters. <laughs> which is bad. In this That's movie. really bad. Uh, speaking of which, the principal is Principal Proctor, who is played by well-known actor... French Tickner. French Tickner. A man whose name is very close to French Tickler. But he's not a porn actor, as far as I can tell. He does a bunch of voiceover stuff, and he's like was in an episode of X-Files, an episode of Psych. I, I feel like there's a lot of... I assume a lot of Canadians in this movie. I know one of the other characters, uh, I believe the bully, Like I looked at his IMDb page and had like a total like nostalgia trip back. When I realized that he was in an episode of Big Wolf on Campus. Do you remember that show? Did you watch Big Wolf on Campus? No, I've never watched that show. Do you re- do you remember its existence at all? No. Is that like one of those Teen Wolf things? It was like a te- it was like an unofficial Teen Wolf. It was like a I believe it was an ABC Family Show maybe that was like a sort of sitcom about a teen that becomes a werewolf and uh, his friend and they fight other, you know, every week another monster shows up and they like fight the monster and the werewolf effects looked, (laughs) they just gave him like big eyebrows and fake teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow. That's awful. Yeah. That guy, the bully, he is, plays a character named Rob who is a a monster. Do you want to guess what, what monster he is? Uh, he's a zombie. Yes. The episode ah. is literally called Rob Colon Zombie. Oh god, that's fucking awful. <laughs> I loved that show, man. I, I I'm waiting for it to show up on streaming somewhere if it's not already. That's gotta be like on Tubi or some shit, right? <laughs> One would hope, because now I wanna cringe watch it. <laughs> uh anyway, uh getting back to the original point, uh this is the second earnest film uh done in Canada after Rides Again. Okay, yeah, so that makes sense. So, the principal proctor is meeting with this Mr. Axwell character about cutting costs for the school. 
he wants to remove the school, calling it obsolete. Later in the film, we'll find out that he wants to merge it with another school, and then that's it. That's his plan. I it it doesn't. There's no really like concrete reasoning behind what he's trying to do. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Like, why does he want this? Why? Like, well, you're gonna get to it in a second. But like, why does he bring up Ernest? This character is baffling. It almost would have made more sense if they used the same reveal they will eventually use in Slam Dunk Ernest and were just like, this guy's the devil. <laughs> uh, don't spoil next week's episode. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I already did. I'm sorry. I don't think it's a spoiler. I think it's pretty clear, like, immediately as soon as that guy shows up. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but the thing is about this character is it's, uh, they never really clearly define his goals. Like, in Ernest Goes to Camp, they have the evil guy who wants to get the land of the camp to you know do his landscaping and what have you uh and that's like a clearly defined business thing where this is just like he just is really into merging the schools and we don't know why and then he tries to find like the weakest point of the school to give him a reason to do this where he picks on a well he establishes a new rule where all faculty staff must have their high school education yeah, and the principal's like, well, that's no problem. We were all highly accredited. And then he's like, hmm. Then he calls out Ernest specifically. He's got a list of all of them. And he's like, oh, you've got this Ernest P. Worrell working for you. He doesn't have a high school diploma. It's like, why do you care? Ernest? But he's not a... <laughs> he doesn't get to... He gets cut off. What do we think he was going to say? He says Ernest, he's... I believe he's cut off on he's. Or he's just. Something like that. So... I think we both assumed he was gonna just gonna say he's just Ernest, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if I was uh, doing this movie, uh, I would just have him like I wouldn't have him be cut off. I would have him just be at a loss for words. I'd have him be like, well, Ernest, he's just uh, uh he's well, he he's Ernest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's the thing that I'm hung up on is just like why? Like it's clearly part of his plan. Is to get Ernest fired, and I don't know how or why he thinks that's going to affect the school. It's also I don't like he has the energy and like the the le- perf- style of performance and delivery of like a businessman that's like trying like like the land developer that was trying to shut down the camp. But it's like right. he's not going to make any money off of this. He just works for the school board. Like he- he's still going to get paid if they don't shut down the school. Like, is he going to get a raise if they don't have to pay for the school? They should have had, like, a, one scene that established that, like, he went to high school with Ernest or something. And then just, then it was like, oh, okay. I understand why he hates Ernest and the school he works at. Like, that, I felt like, would have been enough. But no, we don't get that. No, we don't get anything. So, Mr. Axwell gives the principal a probation period for them to find something worth saving. And then decides to leave saying that Ernest needs to get his graduate uh, high school diploma. Uh, and then he runs into Ernest. And here's where, like, that flashback would have been great. Yeah. You know, if, like, we had uh, Ernest run into Mr. Axwell, and then there'd just be that flashback of Ernest, I don't know, fucking up Mr. Axwell's uh, shit at high school. Just because, not because he's, like, a dick, but because he's Ernest. You yeah. Know, like, he accidentally, like, sets the water fountain loose and stumbles back into Mr. Axwell as he's asking out a girl he really likes, causing him a trip over her and embarrassing the crap out of him. You know, something classic Ernest. Mm-hmm, for sure, yeah. But no, no, we don't get that. 
No, but we <laughs> we do get uh, something that I enjoyed. Uh, so uh, Ernest brings his contraption, and he, he asks Mr. Axwell he wants to get a demonstration of what he calls a Supremo vac as Mr. Axwell storms off. And then Ernest plugs it in and is about to uh, use it, and then it goes... It does this, like, ear-piercing, like, whine mm-hmm. that is uh, incredibly loud and uncomfortably close, like that one movie. Yes. <laughs> that movie. And the principal comes out, yells at him, and says he needs to talk to him. And Ernest is trying to unplug the, uh, the plug out of the wall, but he can't. Classic Ernest. Uh, he rips out the plug. The machine's still going. So this happens. And I... I, I in my notes, I describe this in a specific way, and I'm just going to read it, and okay. uh, we can you can react to it, and we'll see how this goes. All right, I'll do my best to react to it. Ernest's solution to this vacuum, still being loud as hell and not being able to be unplugged, goes full rampage and destroys it like he just found it fucking his wife. <laughs> That's not inaccurate, but I think what's going on here is... The machine is still making this noise, and so he is frantically disassembling it, trying to find the specific piece that makes the noise. So he keeps, like, tearing parts of the machine apart and then not finding what's making the noise until he gets down into the center of the engine and opens it up, and there's, like, a little metal whirring motor that's going, that's making the whining noise. And uh, here, let's have a little game for the audience, uh, if you haven't watched the movie. I'm gonna, we're going to pause for a second. And then you try and guess how Ernest solves the problem of this small machine making a noise. I'm going to insert a Jeopardy noise here. Did you say he shoves it in his mouth? If you did, you're correct. Because that's what he does. This time, he spits it out uh, after having it in his mouth for a second and definitely not working. And it goes flying across the hall, and we'll see that later. Yeah, this is another thing that is inexplicably, this is another element that is set up and paid off. For some reason, I felt the need that they, this had to be resolved. But other things, no. But this, yes. So, <laughs> Ernest, Ernest goes to meet with the principal, and the principal tells him he needs to get a degree or leave or, you know, be fired. And Ernest freaks out. Understandably, I guess. Uh, where he says, this is his life, this is a spiritual commitment to my job, I need this, this is my job, please, I can't, I need this. And then, or he has to go back to school, and there's this classic, uh, oh no, thunder and lightning. Not back to school. Yeah, he looks directly at the camera when this happens. This is clearly like, this is for the trailer. <laughs> because it's like, he already works at the school. Like, it's it's not can't be that bad. It's not like he even has to go anywhere different. He's already going to the school every day. And they're very generous because presumably they're still paying him the whole time where he's just being a student there. Because he never seems like, he's never like worried that he's not going to have enough money or anything. That is true. And, he, and it's like, you know, he, he knows the school. He's worked at it, presumably for a while, considering that he's very attached to this position. Yeah, but also, whenever he interacts with the teachers later in the movie, they don't seem like they... 
they're not reacting to him like he's their coworker that they've seen every day for the past couple of years. No, they they react to him like. Well, I mean, there's one teacher in particular that reacts to him like he's Ernest, but the rest of them like barely give him any notice. So, Ernest is announced as a new student over the PA by our radio distrocky friend, uh, and then this there's a weird cut to a couple of characters. Uh, Nate, uh, this is your area of expertise. Do you want to introduce these uh, two characters that we just cut to right <sighs> now, who uh, comment on their uh, poor Ernest not standing a chance? Yeah, so these are they are played by two people that we are are very well familiar very well familiar with. Does that make sense? Is that a thing a person says? I will allow it. <laughs> I mean, okay. but okay. So traditionally, uh, as the old ways would dictate from the old country, Ernest <laughs> ha- would have two other characters that, that hang out together that would be in the Ernest movie. And by and large, you know, they, those two characters in, in their ideal form are played by Gaylord Sartain and Bill Berg, or Bill Berge. We have never actually figured out how you're supposed to say that guy's name. And, you know, that's the, that's the archetypal Chuck and Bobby. Uh, here we do have, no, uh, in the previous movie, we were missing both of them. In the movie before that, uh, we were missing Gaylord Sartain, but we did have Bobby, uh, Bill as Bobby. Here we we do have Bill. He is Bobby, but his partner is a is played by Linda Cash, who people will remember as being the uh Professor Mellon's wife from the previous movie. Uh here they're two German question mark scientists whose names are Goethe and Bobby. And yes. <laughs> they're the science teachers. Because we do see them teach a class at one point, briefly. But they're mostly concerned with performing experiments that expand brain power. Bobby is mostly silent, uh, as he always is. And uh, Goethe speaks with a wildly shifting accent that just kind of skips across all of Europe. (laughs) (laughs) It's mostly German, but it kind of goes everywhere. It's definitely rooted in German, but you can, like, hear the Russian and the Polish and the other stuff just slip in there every now and then. Yeah. She kind of does the, th- like, it's like, she sort of does the cartoony German thing, you pronounce the V, the T-H as V's, uh, but she also does, like, a kind of an Elmer Fudd thing where she pronounces R's as W's, but not all of them. It's very consistent. And I don't know if that's a comment on her or if that's just how she was told to do it. You know, because this movie's so wacky. I was wondering if that's on purpose. I'm going to say this, though, because it sounds like we're dunking on her. I actually think this is a pretty funny performance. It's very broad. It's very cartoony. It's very, like, not not even sitcom-y, but, like, kid sitcom-y. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, oh, it's funny. She's got a good screen presence. Yeah, but it is a very inconsistent accent. And these are very weird characters. They, we we commented that they are the most out of all of these sort of pairs, they are the most similar to the Exeronius guys from Ghost to Camp. Yes, and this cutaway happens later, but we can talk about it now. Uh, there is just a random cutaway to them later on in the movie where uh, there's a kid doing a science project where he is uh, using some kind of battery. I don't remember what the charge is to make a. Live or dead frog, I could not tell. Leg twitch with electricity, and that's a science project. 
And in the background, these two are like, that's it. The AC charge. That's the ingredient that we were missing in our science project. Yeah. Again, I feel like this is maybe an argument for them having run out of ideas. Because that is literally just the Exerodius thing again. But less funny. I think that, I want to say this, like, you know I love Chuck and Bobby, obviously. But I feel like the continued absence of Gaylord Sartain really puts a uh, spotlight on the fact that he was kind of the MVP of that group. Like, his sort of big, sort of theatrical, kind of like old school, um, sort of Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy type energy works much better with Bobby than the other people they've paired him up with. Do you, do you agree? I think I agree with that. Although, I will admit, I think, uh, you know, we had Gaylord Sartain replaced by another character in uh, Ernest Scared Stupid, and we weren't a fan of that guy. But I think I think Linda Cash does a good job. Yeah, well, so here's the thing with both of those characters, with um, Linda Cash's Gerda and whoever the fuck that other guy was as Tom Tulip. Mm-hmm. They're, both of what they're doing is that they're like big motor mouth type characters. Whereas Gaylor Sartain's thing was, he's, he had a little bit of that, but a lot of his stuff was like reactive. Is he kind? He kind of let Bobby sort of be the wacky one, and then he would have big over the top reactions to him, which I think works better because Bobby is a silent character for the most part. Having these very talky characters paired up with him means he just kind of recedes into the background. This is true. I will definitely agree with that. Uh, especially uh, with the Game of Thirteen, like classic eye roll and like facial expressions that he was actually really good at. Yeah, exactly. And also, he delivers my favorite line in the entire franchise. Oh, he's polarized. <laughs> so we're straying away. Uh, let's uh, let's let's get back on track. We're definitely going to talk about these two characters more. Uh, but we cut to Ernest getting to his locker, locker one fifty two, my little sanctuary, as he calls it. And then we get introduced yeah. to uh, a friend of Ernest, uh, which is never really explained how they're friends, but they're friends. Where this red-haired, nerd-like kid with big glasses comes up and says, Hey, Ernest, hope you're ready. Let the games begin. Good luck. Uh, and his name is Donald. And I think we actually get his name. Yeah. I think he's like the one where we definitely get his name. Uh, yeah, that's his friend. It seems like they're already friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie does a... Not a great job. Like, he has a... It gives him a supporting cast, a la Scared Stupid. Like, he has three kids. Obviously, they're older. They're high school students that he's friends with who, you know, help him out in this movie. But they're much less efficient and effective at establishing them and their relationship to Ernest than they are with the kids in Scared Stupid. Uh, for sure. I mean, it's a great comparison, too, because, like, he had, like, three kids that he uh, palled around with in Scared Stupid, and he has three kids now. One of them, you know, is Donald is set up as, like, his friend. Um, and the other two aren't really yeah. set up at all. They just show up at one point, and it's just like, oh, I guess they're friends with Ernest? Yeah. And one of them makes no sense when this happens, and we'll explain that. Because this is one of those things that is kind of set up and then never paid off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this leads to Ernest. He has an agenda in front of him. He's trying to figure out where to go. Like, he's never fucking worked there today in his life. And he gets picked on by uh, Will Sasso and uh, the other guy, the other main Rob Zombie football jerk, Rob Zombie, (laughs) Uh, who toss, uh, who grabs the agenda paper, toss around like a monkey in the middle, 
and then he eventually uh, loses it. And by the time like he picks it up again or um, you know searches for it, everybody's run to class and he doesn't know where to go. Uh, so Ernest is turned around. He's lost. He's left on the hallway. He does this like echoing, "Hello, where is math class?" And no one responds. Yeah. And then this happens. And I think it's only appropriate that I I turn to you, uh, my fellow uh, friend and compatriot Nate Osterman, to uh, just discuss this. Yeah, so we learned that Ernest, uh, when he was building his character, he took the mysterious stranger perk. Because a cowboy ghost? All of a sudden, it's like, they don't do the... But they basically do that. Uh, And there's, like, fucking tumbleweeds, and there's, like, backdrop... Like, obvious, like, backdrops hung up of, like, a southwestern landscape. And there is a silhouetted cowboy on a horse... Uh, who I believe in the credits is, and this is a very good fake cowboy name, is credited as Squint Westward, who is played by the same guy who plays the cowboy in Indian in the Cupboard. Mm-hmm. So I guess this guy just had a minor career playing cowboys. Uh, and he's like, a, you know, he talks in kind of like a Clint Eastwood impression, uh, as his name would suggest, and he directs Ernest to his class and then disappears and is never referenced or shown again. Yeah, it is mind-boggling. I it's totally it's one of the most baffling things that happens in the movie. Again, this seems like a thing that should is a setup that's going to get paid off. It is not. They do not pay it off. I don't know what this is or why it's in the movie. It's extremely weird <laughs> and I like it, I we were just both going like ah, 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 uh, the whole time we were watching it because like what what is this? Why why did the cowboy ghost just show up and direct him to class? Is this supposed to be like inside Ernest's head? Is this like you know he does the John Wayne impression right? Like is this like the, what he sees? Is this like the the cowboy within appearing uh, as a vision to help? What is this? This is my uh, my final pitch for uh, uh, our end of episode thing where. It's Ernest the Cowboy Within. That's my movie. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the crap this is. This is just unerringly perplexing. And especially, it's not done well either. You might have mentioned this, but like the, the backdrop that like shows the desert is clearly just a banner. You can see the creases at the top. Like They just did not give a shit. I, okay, I actually disagree with you. Because I, I think it is supposed to look stagey. It's supposed to look... Like, this weird thing is intruding on the school hallway. I think you're supposed to be able to, like, see the lockers and stuff. I kind of like that aesthetic of it. If this was, like, a gimmick of the movie where it was, like, Ernest's imagination or this fantasy world or something popped in and was, like, a consistent thing, I would be, like, on board with it. My problem is just that it happens once and never again. See, the way I was thinking about it, and you're probably right uh, in that aspect, the way I was thinking about it is I was tying it back into uh, the Ernest peering his head through the asphalt, where it's just these effects that are just not held to high standards. Yeah, well, actually, comparing it to the um, the, the Ernest uh, getting flattened, speaking of that, it's like, that's the thing with this movie, is there are parts that are clearly 
like you were talking about, uh, you know, at some point before, where we're clearly seeing things through Ernest's eyes. Um, there's a part later on where he has like a test and he sees the the teacher as like a Nazi and a monster. And then there are things like the uh, him getting flattened, where it's like I don't know on what layer of reality that's supposed to be taking place. Did he literally get flattened? And this is the same thing where it's like what it's like is this in Ernest's head but it kind of can't be right because he doesn't know where he's going is this a real person that's just talking to him who he's seeing as this like that must be what it's supposed to be right it's supposed to just be like a rando came up and helped him and Ernest was so grateful that he saw this person as like this brave cowboy that was standing up for him right that's but even then I feel like I'm grasping at straws yeah I think there's no right answer to this this yeah, this is like, I can't, this movie is like, it's sand slipping through my fingers. I can't, I can't <laughs> hold it. I feel like Ernest fighting the toilet spray, <laughs> trying to make sense of what what this movie is and what it's trying to do. Oh, that is a great image. The image of just like, it's like a meme, but like, uh, where Ernest fighting the toilet spray and the toilet spray is the Ernest films. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have that image in my head forever. So, uh, he gets to the right class with directions from this, uh, John Wayne cowboy, and it's a math class, and there's, like, a blackboard problem going on, which is indicated by the teacher saying the words, blackboard problem, as Ernest heads in. <laughs> uh, this is, this is another thing that'll pay off later. I didn't pick up on that. Ernest comes in, and he's in a, his class with the jocks, and the jocks, you know, start snickering themselves and trying to do a prank on Ernest, and they take out... What can only be described as a comically large golden thumbtack and put it on Ernest's seat. So Ernest will get pricked in the butt, have to stand up, and then the teacher will mistake that for Ernest volunteering to do the math problem on the board, uh, which is about trains and stuff. There's like, it's like a train problem. There's like a specific, like, one train's going this way at 45 miles per hour sort of thing. Yeah, and so Ernest... It has to answer this question, and he starts babbling about, uh, like, the relative weights of different kinds of citrus fruit and how <laughs> that would affect the speed of the, the train that's carrying it. And the sick migrant workers that pick the fruit and the fat orchard rats that might have eaten the fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. This part's kind of funny. But yeah, no, he, like, he, like, filibusters about all of these like extraneous details that could minutely affect the speed of the train instead of answering the question. Right. And then he accidentally sits on what I guess is glue, covers the teacher in glue, knocks the teacher over as he's trying to clean up the glue into a um, drawer that just has sequins in it that falls to the, the on top of the teacher. Oh, so basically like a tarred and feathered thing. Yes, yes. But it's much more than sequins. It's like um, spangly confetti, but it's all shaped like numbers. <laughs> it's like just like sixes and eights and stuff. <laughs> Which I guess, I don't know, does he have that to like throw around to celebrate if someone... Like, if he Ernest answered the math problem correctly, would he have showered him with n- number confetti? I don't know. It's baffling <laughs> that it's even there. Yeah, it could have just been, like, pencil shavings or something, but they gave him, like, math confetti for some reason. <laughs> also, if you're imagining what the glue looks like, um, and you're imagining that it looks like something else, you're right. 
And then that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. Okay, cool. But do you disagree? No. Okay. No, I cannot disagree. Anyway. <laughs> um, Ernest uh, tries to... Like, the teacher yells at Ernest to sit down, and then Ernest helps the teacher sit in his chair before Ernest goes to sit down. Uh, as, like, a, you know, like, pull out his chair for him, kind of like, you know, I'm sorry thing. And then the teacher sits down, but gets glued to the chair. And then also, Ernest's hand gets glued to the chair. And the classic Ernest bit, where he has to remove his hand while trying to sit down. And the way he removes his hand is kicking the chair forward as he throws the teacher into uh, the wall. Uh, and his hand comes off with most of the chair attached to it. Yeah, he's got like a he's got like a hand shaped cutout of the chair stuck to his hand, yeah, perfectly, because uh, that's how that works. I mean, it's classic Ernest shenanigans. Even though the stuff that happens to the teacher is bonkers, it still like I guess kind of works because this is Ernest and this is what Ernest does, and it would have fit perfectly with like our envisioned flashback for uh, the way we wanted it to happen with Mister Axwell. Where it's yeah. just like he's well-meaning and he's trying to do the right thing, but shit just happens because he's earnest. But yeah, but this is the th- this thing with the teacher is what I was talking about earlier, where it's like this teacher doesn't react to him like he knows him. No, this one kind of does. I mean, he definitely like is already annoyed at Ernest when Ernest walks in. I guess because Ernest comes in late and is super loud. They do a bit where every time Ernest's foot makes a step, it makes it like a very noticeable squeak. But maybe, I, I, maybe I'm just like. Ri- like confusing that recognition for just him being annoyed. I don't know. Uh, maybe, but it was like okay. With the, let's say you're right though. Then that makes Axwell's plan more confusing because like they don't. It doesn't seem like the the school likes Ernest. Like if he was beloved, then it would make sense that he would want to try and get rid of him because like oh maybe he's helping the school be successful. Wouldn't this movie make more sense if instead of the this inexplicable outsider the villain was the principal and he was trying to or or we could even get more complicated and have actual there and have the principal be there and they want Ernest to get fired because he's making the school worse and like that's going to save the school like maybe on one end we have a character working to save the school by removing Ernest and then on the other end we have Ernest working to save the school and his job but maybe that's too complicated for this movie to handle I mean, I kind of like that aspect, but the principal is definitely on Ernest's side and seems to have an affinity for him. Yeah. Okay, sure. I don't know. But yeah, so that's that's the math sequence. Uh, it's alright. Uh, there's some funny stuff. It's solid Ernest nonsense. Yep, and now we get to more solid Ernest nonsense. More of the same. As Ernest goes to gym, he meets up with a character that will get paid off later in one scene as, uh, Introduces Coach Deckard, who uh, yeah. instructs him to volunteer to go into the school's actual real wrestling ring that it has for some reason. Yeah, this they got a they got a squared circle. They got a like a full on with turnbuckles and ropes wrestling professional wrestling ring. Like you you know high school wrestling they do it on a mat on the floor. No, but they got a full ring with with turnbuckles and everything. And then Ernest. <laughs> Gets in the ring and a luchador comes out to fight him. Now this this is interesting. This is uh, one of the few African American characters in this movie. Introduces Coach Carson, who comes out after Ernest 
trips over the ropes to get into the ring uh, where he tells Donald that he's going to move slowly so he can observe his cat-like moves and then trips over himself and gets in the ring. And then this luchador-costumed Coach Carson comes out acting like a crazy person. Yeah, he's doing the he's literally doing the George the Animal steel bit where he gets in and he bites the turnbuckle or he bites the like uh, yeah the turnbuckle cover, a la George the Animal steel R.I.P. Right, and then Ernest tries to imitate it and loses a tooth, which I I, I like that bit. I like I think the sequence is funny and honestly like uh, made me wish we had gotten like you know heavyweight Ernest or something where he <laughs> luchador like, Ernest. Yeah, the, or just the wrestling Ernest movie. Like, I feel like it could have been really good. Like, that's a perfect venue for, like, slapstick and stuff. Like, it seems like a no-brainer. Ernest Libre? Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> but yeah, we would get a slapstick wrestling sequence after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, I'm a big nerd, and it did annoy me at one point where they misidentify a, uh, I believe it is a crossbody as a atomic drop, which is, they are not the same move. This is correct. There's a point where Ernest runs around in circles for a while, but then he gets clotheslined. Uh, I I had in my notes as a fake atomic drop because I'm not up to date on my wrestling knowledge as you are, Nate. Yes, but you have seen you you did go to uh, a taping of Monday Night Raw. Yeah, that was awesome. Wish we could do that again. Uh, anyway, so the, the drop misses. The fake drop misses. Then Ernest gets pinned while saying that he is the other guy pinned. He gets uh, the coach in a pinky hold and does the snicker and mm-hmm. then gets picked up and thrown into a basketball net that is insanely long. Like, it's like a person-length net. Yeah, I guess the idea is he stretched it out somehow. But yeah, the, the net is long enough to fully engulf Ernest. Uh, and that's the, that is the end of his match, yes? Yes, and it, it does foreshadow Slam Dunk Ernest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, like that, the 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 coach comes back. The original, the first, the head coach, Coach Deckard. Uh, yeah, but the 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 one that he wrestles does not come back. No, not at all. This is the only time we see him. But yeah, you're right. He there are there are I believe three um, black characters in this movie. It's this guy, uh, a boring teacher later, and then at the very end, a character that I think is supposed to be the superintendent. Oh, I forgot about her. Some sort of authority figure. No, there's shows four then. The... Oh, who's the? Who am I missing? There's, there's a football jock that literally growls at Ernest. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, that character doesn't have any lines, so neither neither does Coach Carson. Yeah, but he's his presence is undeniable. <laughs> All right. He speaks with his body. Uh, so this transitions to. Ernest, not going to science class, but just meeting up with the, the two science teachers, Bobby and Gerda, who want to show him something. They're they're apparently friends with Ernest. I guess? I'm not sure what the relationship is there, but they, they seem friendly towards Ernest, and Ernest is friendly towards them, who uh, show them something for Ernest's eyes only, how they're working on this equation to have a pig solve math problems, I guess. I don't really understand uh, it. No, me neither. They have a potbelly <laughs> pig, which is adorable. I love this pig. He's he's no rimshot, but I am a fan of this pig. And um, do you remember his name? My his name is Mowgli. There should be more funny pigs in movies. Pigs are great. 
But I don't know. Maybe I don't know if pigs are hard to direct or something. They're supposed to be smart, so I assume it can't be that much harder than directing a dog. I mean, we've all seen Police Academy, so we know that pigs are funny in movies. <laughs> Good point. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> what if they made a movie where Babe joined the police force? What if it was Babe, Pig on the Force? Pig on the Beat. I think that's two on the nose. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> or should I say should I say two on the snout? So the the visual of this is uh, is actually kind of one of my favorite things in the movie because their setup is they've got this little pot belly pig um and the, he's wearing big headphones like for people uh and those are hooked up to like an apple 2e monitor where <laughs> 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 they're showing him the math problems so i guess he can read numbers and the pig is like it seems he's very well behaved like he has the headphones on the whole time and uh a pig in headphones? Pretty funny image. Mm-hmm. But Ernest is so bad at math that he makes the pig bad at math by giving him, like, the wrong answers. And it makes them think that the experiment is a failure, even though clearly the pig is probably smart enough to solve these math problems. Yeah. And I quote, Why, Bobby? Why we fail? Facepalm, facepalm, why? And then, then it just transitions to Ernest and Band. Yeah. This is a weird in-between scene. That happens in between Ernest going to two of his classes. It just, I don't know. They were like, we need to put the scene somewhere, and they just shove it in here. It should have just been in the beginning of the movie, right? It should have been before he gets called into the office. He's, like, cleaning the school, and he stops in to clean that room or whatever, and he talks to his, what would at that point be his colleagues. Right. It'd be like, uh, hey, Ernest, uh, hey, Ernest, over here, check this out. Yeah, uh, or they could have even had a thing where he he's like, because um, he's the janitor, where he's like, oh guys, how many times I got to tell you you can't have a pig in the school? And it's like there, he's like, you know, that would have been good. To, I think there's a lot of things they could have done. This movie makes a lot of inexplicable choices. I mean, if it was up to me, if I was writing this movie, I would definitely have had it in the front, in the forefront where he's the janitor, and I don't want to make the pig his nemesis. Where, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, the pig is constantly, like, fucking things up in the school, and he has to catch it. Kind of like, I don't know if you ever watched uh, Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Uh, there's the janitor with, like, the weasel. Oh, I thought you were going to bring up uh, Caddyshack with the gopher. Oh, yeah, similar similar vibe. Uh, where it's just like, this is his nemesis, and it, it fits with Ernest's complicated relationship with animals. Yeah, and then we could have gotten a part where the pig wears sunglasses and dances or something, or just wears sunglasses. Uh, also, yeah. then it would have been like they could have had a sort of like funny faux emotional moment at the end where the pig comes back to help him. They kind of do. Yeah, but it's like he and the pig are have been on the same page the entire time. Like the he and the pig are are at least neutral acquaintances. But what if they had been enemies and then the pig had stepped in to save Ernest, and he he would have, he would have then he could have been like, oh, I love you, pig. I'm gonna let you eat as many snacks out of the vending machine as you want. <laughs> Like, that, that could have been, been great. great. Yeah. Uh, alas. <laughs> so, uh, we get to Ernest going to band, and we have, uh, he's sitting next to his friend, Donald, uh, and Donald is checking out uh, this girl that he's interested in, uh, her name, which we never find out in the movie. Uh, we have to look it up again on IMDb and Wikipedia to find out it is Maisie, played by the lovely Sarah Chalk, known to, uh, you know, Adult Swim's Rick and Morty, 
as Beth and, you know, Scrubs, actors Elliot, and a bunch of other wonderful stuff. Yeah, um... Except for when she played the villain in the Psych movie, and it was goddamn awful. Hmm, two, two connections to Psych in this movie. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is, um, weirdly, in the credits, her uh, she doesn't have an E at the end of her last name. Oh. It's just chalk, like, whereas I everything I've seen her in besides this, she's got an E at the end of her name. Must be a typo. Uh, does he ever get a pet pig in Psych? That seems like that would have been a slam dunk, uh, Ernest. A slam dunk move <laughs> uh, for Psych to give him a little pig. Uh, he's a cat in the first season. I don't remember them ever interacting with a pig, but they might have. I, I'd have. I'm to just saying. Imagine what's the other? What's his his friend Gus? Is that his friend's name? Yeah. Imagine that guy having interacting with a potbelly pig. That's that's gold. That is gold. Uh, but there is one episode where he interacts with a polar bear, and it's absolute gold. I love that episode. Alright, enough about me pitching animal sidekicks for a cancelled TV show. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really watch that much. Okay. It's a good show. Except for the last season and the movies. Can I I'll, can I reveal something <laughs> about myself to the audience? Um, I, Go for I it. watched that show in a really weird way. Where I watched like the first two seasons and then just went through the rest of the show and watched all the season finales and not the other episodes. Yeah, but, I mean, to be fair, that show is kind of known for, like, the season finales. Yeah, I had a good time doing it. I, I wasn't, like, I didn't feel weird. I was like, I could, I could follow this and these are enjoyable. Yeah. Good show. For the most part. Anyway. <laughs> so, Ernest, is, Ernest is in band. Uh, he notices Donald checking out Maisie and talks some shit about Young Love. And then says, uh, Donald's like, what should I do? Should I go say hi to her? And Ernest is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he just shuts him down. This is, I thought this scene was very funny. I don't know if they making it thought it was as funny as I did, but he's so not supportive of his friend. He's not like necessarily being outwardly mean, but he's just like, no, nah, no, don't do that. <laughs> there, was, there was a moment where both of us were laughing out loud because it was just absurd. Uh, <laughs> So then uh, the principal comes in and he says something about uh, something happening to the other band instructor. And then this new uh, teacher, Miss Flugel, is coming in to replace him. And Miss Flugel comes in and then Ernest mimics Donald where he gets a crush on Miss Flugel. Yeah. Yeah, he he's, he's falls in love with her instantaneously and has like a dream. They start playing... Uh, uh, blue Danube, or I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that, but that you know that one, like when Homer is floating in space and he's eating all the potato chips, that song. Mm -hmm. Um, and he has like a dream sequence where he's in a tuxedo, but he still has his hat, but it's black. Uh, and they have like a dance, and there's like bubbles everywhere. Yeah, but even in like this dream sequence, Ernest is a klutz. Yeah. <laughs> even when Ernest, like, his... And this will be a point later on, I'm sure you're going to connect to your big theory about this movie, uh, is that even when Ernest is, like, doing a dream fantasy where he gets the girl, he can't help but put roses in her mouth and accidentally hit her in the face. He can't help himself but to fall and trip on the floor. You yeah. know, they just work that into Ernest having a sequence, and they, like, there's, like, a bunch of bubbles, and they're in, like, these fancy clothes, and they're doing, like, snow angels on the floor, um, and flailing... 
And then it ends with him spinning and drop for a kiss with the teacher. And then Donald snaps him out of it and Ernest just snaps his symbols. And then we move on to that science class Exeronius scene that we talked about earlier. I do want to mention there's one psychic I really liked in the dream sequence where um, she has the rose in her mouth. Like she's holding it like, you know, that thing where you like rose is clenched between her teeth. Mm-hmm. Which I honestly, in real life, sounds awful because yeah, yeah. roses are thorny. Yeah, it's. Bad. I would never ever want to do that in real life. But but the the psychic that I liked is Ernest dips down and comes back up and he's clenching an entire rose bush in his mouth. Yeah, and that's what he hits him in the face with. Yeah, I thought that was really good. Um, it is it is weird that it's in that dream sequence, but it is a pretty funny little moment. This transitions to Ernest going to a literature class where. He's about to answer a question about Mark Twain, I think. And Will Sasso sits behind him and just literally lights Ernest's hat on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not even like a prank. It's just like, like, it's literally just being the worst. Tonally, this scene is also pretty weird. Uh, because, like, <laughs> Ernest's head's on fire and he doesn't notice. And he's trying to answer the question. The teacher is very concerned and, and distressed about Ernest's head being on fire. All of the students think it's funny. Like what? Yeah. What? They're like the they're awful. They, that's the other thing about this movie is it it does not do a good job of selling us on this school needing to be saved. Like they just seem like a, there's a lot of jerks and bullies who are just sort of tolerated and never really pushed back on, and everybody hates Ernest. And it's like I don't know. They don't really like the school is not a great setting, and they don't really make it seem like a special place. It's weird because, like, if you think about something like Community, right? Like, Community, it, that school is full of assholes and weirdos, but they do a really good job of making Greendale, like, endearing. You're invested in the... the anytime Greendale is in danger as a place, you you are rooting for it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, they couldn't... They could not do that here with this school. Well, I mean, especially has to do with, like, the characters. Like, they, they barely establish any of the characters, including, like, Ernest's main friend group. And... They're just not endearing at all. Yeah, no. So, it it ends with Ernest getting a fire extinguisher thrown at him by the teacher. No, no, it's by the it's by the bully. He goes and picks up the. Is the, it? The, I yes. thought it was the teacher. No, no, it, it's it's the it's Rob Zombie. But yeah, he goes and pick up the fire extinguisher, and there is a part where I was like, he the way he holds it, I was like, oh, I thought I thought he was gonna throw it at him, and then he just throws it at him. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, it just throws at him. That ends the scene. That's, like, it. The scene's over. Yeah. <laughs> then we transition to uh, the principal meeting with Ernest, uh, telling Ernest about how he's not doing great, and Mr. Axel's trying to convince him to give up, uh, and Ernest is, like, in despair, saying, I'm going to be out, thrown out in the cold, purged, fired, flunk. Please don't throw me out. At, uh, at this point in the movie, it feels like it's been a day. A day. Yeah. And Mr. Axe was trying to, like, say, get rid of this idiot, he can't cut it. And he has one more week to show improvement, implying that it's been a week. Yeah, the time scale is not great here. It really does not seem like it's... Because we only get a couple of classes from so it really just seems like this is the... Not even... It doesn't even seem like it's been a day. This seems like this is, like, the middle of the day. <laughs> and they're like, look, yeah, and I have a day. Uh, everybody said you suck. Uh, I just assume you're failing. We're going to get rid of you. But no, apparently it's been a week. I guess he only has one class a day. Maybe, he, 
The rest of the day, he's doing janitorial work that we just don't get to see. I don't know. It's really unclear, and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, especially if you think about how schools generally work, and you get, like, grades per period. Like, even if he has a lot of teachers complaining about him doing stupid shit, like, after a week, that doesn't justify, like, you know, yeah, him trying to graduate. This is like a conversation you have at midterms. Yeah. But whatever. It's been a week. I mean, he seems like he he passes one test at the end of this movie and gets to graduate. And also, weirdly, we don't get to see a graduation scene, which seems like the really blue ball in us there. Yeah, again, like, you know, in Rides Again, where we can't see Ernest B. King, we can't have Ernest graduate. What's... Well, why are we watching these movies? Yeah, like how like we don't get the part we don't get to see him have like a graduation hat that has like the bill of his either he's got his regular hat on and a graduation cap on top of it, or the graduation cap is like a weird hybrid baseball cap graduation cap. We don't get we don't get a scene where he tries to throw his cap but he can't get his hat off and it's he like flops on the ground trying to pull the hat off of his own head. None none of that. We don't get any of that. No, we do not. So Ernest does uh what uh, what feels is like very um cartoony or like maybe like old timey film thing where uh Ernest goes to like a black lighted montage of the hallway as we see a montage of his failures and he tries to convince himself he can change and that he's better and then he's like eventually convincing himself that he can't change and he should give up. And then he eventually gives up at his locker where he opens it and he sees Gerda in his locker. Yeah, I guess his locker is a secret passageway into the laboratory of the scientists. Um, weird. Well, here's where it gets interesting. Uh, a, a thing I noticed in the background as Ernest follows her through the, his locker to their weird science lab, they clearly cut a hole out of the wall to get to Ernest's locker specifically. Oh, okay. That's extreme. But I uh, respect the effort. And... Gerda and Bobby want to make Ernest an offer. Uh, they apparently created this atomic brain accelerator machine, mm-hmm. which describe how it looks, Nate. Um, well, it's like a barber chair that you sit in, and then they put a big plastic bucket over your head that's got a cutout for your face, um, and it's got a bunch of tubes running out of it. Well, it's got a bunch of tubes running from the front of it to the back of it, but then also out of the top of it. Uh, and then Ernest gets in it, and it's like he's, it's like a cross between a cartoon being electrocuted and the part where they brainwash him in, uh, A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> I mean, that's a really great way to describe it. They say that Ernest has been selected by them, which they refer to themselves as a blue ribbon panel, to be, as, as Gerda is striving for words, Bobby says, a guinea pig. And Ernest asks if this will make him smart, will he be able to pass a mass test, and to quote Gerda... He'll be able to paw them off tough. She does say that. <laughs> she says that word for word. And I just want to like note that uh, part of this machine, there's like a computer monitor, uh, which is basically just a giant sticker of like a blacked out Ernest picture and like a brain o- overimposed over uh, his hat area. Yeah, his hat's in the skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then he has, like, flashes of image, and it looks like he's just basically having a clear seizure heart attack. He's, yeah, he's, he's going like... <laughs> <laughs> and, like, yeah, there's, like, flashes. Uh, he gets glasses for a second. Well, one of the rare moments of concern for Ernest in this movie, because many people don't seem to give a shit about him, is uh, Gerda says it's not working, asks Bobby to shut it down, and then Bobby shuts it down. 
Allah, like Frankenstein stuff, and then uh, Ernest like comes up and has glasses and a tie and a denim vest, says something like smart, then says, "You know what I mean," and then uh, immediately goes back to normal. Yeah. So when he when he is smart from the machine, he has glasses and a button-up shirt with a tie, but he still has the vest and the hat. So Gerda explains that they need to get him up bright and early to recharge uh, for a normal brain. This would work for three hours that they have, they base on zero actual knowledge. Uh, but for an earnest brain, he gets 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, t- there, there's a time limit on it, but like, really? they I, That seems like it's supposed to be there to, for tension, right? Like, oh, this thing's going to run out, he's got to time it. But they never really do that. There's a part where he gets less time, and that creates a problem. But there's never really a thing where they establish, like, a ticking clock for him. Mm-hmm. So this leads to Ernest getting all charged up the next day, exiting Locker with the new smart Ernest look. I'm just going to call him Unist. So Unist goes to the next class with the teacher that he recently sequined and glued and raises his hand for a question. Uh, the teacher ignores him, like, doing that. Anyone? Anyone really can answer the question? Anyone? And then finally gives in and picks Ernest, and Ernest says the right answer, and for some reason, both of you and I were confused by this, Mr. Axbell is in the classroom. Yeah, again, nothing with this guy makes any sense. He's, he's just like this malevolent force that rolls into the movie when they need something bad to happen, but, like, I think he's the worst villain we've gotten so far. That's saying something, especially since we've talked about, you know, the villains in general over time just not being great. Yeah, but it's like, I'm thinking about, like, you know, the land developer guy who's got some genuine menace, you know, the the bizarre doctor slash crime lord from Rides Again, and, like, they they were all better handled than this guy. And then uh, Nash, obviously, is a gold standard, and Trantor as well. Uh, you know, they're the, sort of the gold standard of Ernest villains, but this is, this guy does not, he does not cut the mustard. No, he does not, not at any point in time. We never see him cut mustard. Uh, so in this scene in particular, he's there to be surprised by Ernest getting it right. The teacher's like, oh, you got it right. And Ernest is like, well, of course it's right. And then he jumps up to the, the board and explains a complicated math problem and eventually starts teaching the class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this is our first taste of, like, um, Ernest, and he's smart. Correct. And uh, just to keep up for everybody that's listening to this long, complicated movie, this is like... Maybe 30 minutes in to an hour and 30 minute movie. Yeah. Uh, so we got a lot to go. <laughs> yeah, I, we'll, we'll talk about it later. But like, I kind of at one point I was like, this is kind of like three movies. It's like the beginning movie where it's like Ernest is struggling at school. And then it's like Flowers for Ernest Jernon, where now he's mad. Machine makes him smart. And then later on, it just becomes a sports movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes Ernest Rudy. Yeah. Except also the marching band. <laughs> Yes, we'll oh talk about God. that too. That's <laughs> the marching band thing. Like the, <laughs> this movie is so strange. So after Ernest shows off that this thing actually works, he uh, can't wait for his new charge, and his arrogance starts to show. Where he rushes Gerda to get things going. He shows up late to the next class, which is the band class. Uh, says when Donald asks him why he's always late, he says he's bored by the preliminaries and uh, talks about. Everybody having the potential for brilliance. 
and then he gets bored by doing his symbols and uh, starts to instruct the class on how to better do the song they're playing. And what song are they playing, Nate? Remind me. Uh, it's, um, it's some Susa march. Yeah. What is it? Someone that's like, da na 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 right, right? It's like that one? Yeah, exactly. So Ernest uh, tells the students to think of soldiers, think of Thanksgiving, think of Christmas, and all this other nonsense as they play. And then does a dope trumpet solo by borrowing somebody's trumpet. Uh, eventually says the valve might need a little oil. And then the students and the teacher beg him to be the new drum major. Then he steals somebody's clarinet, does a dope clarinet solo. And okay. then he also, at the same time, starts tubaing Maisie, tuba, who she's a tuba player apparently, and also a flute and leads the class in that song. Okay, I have to say something here though. As a person who plays the clarinet, uh, I would not, under basically any circumstances, play somebody's clarinet that they had just been playing. Because let me tell you, that thing gets wet. Like, are unaware, you know, a, a clarinet is a woodwind instrument. Uh, the wood part, uh, I think, I believe, refers specifically to the reed that you use to make the noise that's, that is attached to the mouthpiece. Uh, that's a little piece of wood, um, and in order for it to work, you have to completely saturate it in your own saliva. Uh, certain current classic Ernest catchphrase, Ew. Yeah. No, they're gross. They get gross. You, there's a valve in them specifically. I mean, um, you know, trumpets have this too, a, a spit valve. But yeah, you, you, your spittle gets all up in them. You have to, like, to clean a clarinet. You get, like, a little rag that's on a string, and you drag it through the clarinet all the way to wipe out all of your gross spit that has, like, condensed inside of this tube. I was extremely grossed out by that part where he just picks up a teen, again, a teen... So imagine how grody it is. A teen's clarinet and puts his mouth right on it. Yeah. You know, especially in the modern time and day where we're recording it, this podcast during a pandemic. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. Like, I'm just cringing from your descriptions alone. Yeah, you know, I didn't think about it, but I really hope nobody's been practicing like an orchestra with woodwinds during the pandemic because that seems like a real disease factory. <laughs> uh, so this this kind of leads into the major remainder plot point of this movie where Ernest is the marching band drum major he takes them outside and he leads the band in marching he's also a conductor at one point they're, they're they stop marching and they're just like standing on the field playing a regular high school band performance and he's conducting them so he's got a real amorphous role in this band yeah, he tells the band that the school's embarrassed by them, but they should be playing proud despite that. Uh, the jocks try to throw him off by throwing a football at him, but he's Unist, and Unist catches that football and throws it right back and knocks out Rob Zombie. Yeah, because for some reason being smart also makes you... Re- I guess it heightens his reflexes? Hand-eye coordination? Yeah, I guess. I have no idea. I mean, this machine... But it makes him wear glasses. Yeah, this machine is bonkers. Yeah, no, y- yes, yes, as as is everything in this movie. But yeah, now Ernest is in charge of the marching band. And it cuts to them going to lunch. We see a short bit where Mr. Axel and the principal are talking about closing the school. The principal's trying to convince Mr. Axel otherwise, because they have a 
football team that wins all the time, and now the marching band's good. Um, but Axwell's like, I don't know about that, and then they 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 leave off. And then Ernest is in line for lunch with Rodney, the DJ, and uh, Donald. And Ernest is asking them if he wants, if they want to join him to an arcade uh, later in the day, so he can show off his hand-eye coordination skills. Okay. I totally did not even that did that did not even register with me. Yeah, it it's weird. I don't being smart means you're real good at uh the arcade, I guess. So, can I just say uh rewinding a little bit that the least one of the least believable things about this movie is that the success of the marching band would at all factor into the school's funding. No one cares about the marching band. 100% like the, the football team is what they care about. Yeah. Uh so the kids are like ignoring Unist and they like don't want to hang out with him. It's not really real why until Unist uh talks to the cafeteria dude uh and asks him if he has any better food, like a sandwich with cilantro, and the cafeteria fruit offers ketchup and Ernest makes like a disgusted face and then the two kids call him out for being an arrogant jerk. And how they they need to study, unlike Ernest, who can just do whatever he wants. They're having meatloaf, and the things that he asks for to modify the meatloaf are Bernays sauce, fresh cilantro, or pico de gallo. Because being smart makes you like cilantro. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, so this scene is just... It feels like there was not enough build-up to the scene of Ernest being an arrogant jerk who doesn't study. Yeah, also, it raises this question... Uh, because when he shows up, as you said, when he shows up to the... When he's late to band class also weird that that's a class and not an extracurricular activity uh but i don't know maybe it works different in other schools he he does that he says an excuse right he says like oh i'm tired of the preliminaries so he's specifically hiding the usage of the machine from his teen friends so what do they think is happening like ernest like teen wolfed himself he transformed into unist overnight and no one seems to pay any mind to that it's just like oh this guy that we know that's usually a clumsy idiot is now super smart and arrogant. And also, we know somehow that he never studies. Yeah, and this becomes more confusing later. So, this leads to more of the arrogant Unist. Uh, as we cut to Gerda and Bobby with the machine, uh, Gerda's talking about how she wants to try on a real brain, but Ernest will do. And then Ernest shows up, and he's a dick to Gerda as he tries to get her to hurry up and recharge him. Specifically, on a tight schedule. Could you be ready when I get here? This leads to Bobby not charging Ernest enough, so he's only going to be smart for another 38 minutes. And Gerda's like, why would you do that, Bobby? Oh, Bobby, you devil. Yeah, so this is the one time where they... It's weird, because they set up the time limit, and then the one time it matters is when the time limit is deliberately shortened, rather than the one that had previously been established. Mm -hmm. Which is literally, like, they said, like, 45 minutes to an hour for the first one. And this one's just 38 minutes, so it's, like, really not that much different. No. No, it's really not. This cuts to Ernest go to a history class that we've never seen him go to before with this uh, African-American teacher. And it transitions to uh, her talking about history to her just blah, blah, blahing, like, literally. Mm. As Ernest is, like, getting upset because he apparently knows all this stuff already. And then it finally, like, gets time for Ernest to give his history report on Seward's Folly. And he talks in like this deep vibrato as like as uh, Unist, the smart, the smart Ernest, but then starts to switch back to the like 
grating earnest voice and then has a and I know you think I've done that for longer than necessary for the joke because it's like you know too much but that's what the the movie does where he's literally just having a stroke for a full-on five minutes as everybody laughs and he starts to like walk out the door it goes on forever it's also not just that he he starts speaking in gibberish he also starts like moving weird and does like a weird crouchy duck walk and they all just they just they just think it's hilarious i guess they think he's doing a bit i have no idea or they're just totally heartless. He just, like... I, if that happened in front of me, regardless of whether or not he had glasses and they magically disappeared during this whole stroke, I would be... I guess it does happen. I would be so... Like, I would not be laughing. I'd be concerned. I'd be like... You know, I'm actually trained in first aid CPR. I'd be, like, freaking out. Yeah, it's, like, upsetting. It's also, like... It's fine if people laugh at it because it is supposed to be funny. It's weird that his friends don't, like, rush to his aid or anything. I guess he's alienated them. But the thing is, like, at other points in this movie, the smart juice runs out and he doesn't do this. But then also at another point in the movie, the smart juice runs out and he does do this. It's very inconsistent about when and why this happens to him. Yeah. It really is. And it's also, cutting back to Ghost of Camp, it's a good thing there's no family of badgers nearby because otherwise they would have freaked out and destroyed him. Uh, yes, this is true. <laughs> so, as Ernest is stroking his way back to the brain atomizer, and Gerda and Bobby also make fun of him stroking, they put him back in the machine and, they do. and give him more juice, and uh, then he goes to teach Marcher Band, and he has the full, uh, this is a powerful costume. Uh, Nate, do you want to talk about this powerful costume? <laughs> yes. Um, so he's got his traditional Ernest hat has been replaced with a beret. He's wearing glasses because he's smart. He has like a maroon cape um, that has a tall collar, not a Dracula collar, but kind of, but like it goes over his whole neck, kind of like a turtleneck or like a Mandarin collar, as one might call it. And then he, I am pretty sure, is wearing a blue unitard or leotard. Uh, but then he's also wearing pants over that, which leads me to believe that this scene was originally supposed to have him fully in a leotard and then they were like oh no this movie is for and stars kids we need to put some pants on jim because <laughs> jim probably got that bulge yeah more like ernest peen Warhol. am i right <laughs> well, i don't know they made the labyrinth for kids and uh everybody uh was happy about that yeah, but Ernest is, is he's he's no Goblin King. That's true. He's not as sexy as David Bowie. Mm, I guess you're right. He's not the only one that's dressed weirdly in the scene. Uh, Maisie's doing her tuba stuff, and she's wearing this really like classy velour hat. Yeah, she has like an Ernest hat, <laughs> but it's velour um, and and pink, which is cool. Cool hat. Ernest walks around the band, clapping, doing stuff. He cartwheels to the principal to show off. Unist, the principal's happy, they wish him good luck. And then, like, we we eventually, like, have, like, the scene end, and we never see Ernest in this costume again throughout this entire movie. Which is baffling. Uh, yeah. This was, like, this is not the outfit he wears to lead the band, which leads me to believe that this was some kind of specifically for practice. That was, like, his workout cape. 
that he had on. I mean, that's the only conclusion I can reach. Yeah. At a certain point, I think during the handstands, uh, Miss Flugel walks up to Ernest and asks him to uh, chaperone with her for the school dances coming up, because apparently she's wooed by him doing all this stuff. And he says yes. And then that's just the thing. Uh, we will never see this dance occur. Yeah. No, another thing where they set it up and they don't pay it off. But yeah, I don't know, gets asked out on a date. So that's cool. Good for Ernest. So we cut to the big football game thing uh, where Ernest is a full marching band outfit and he gets ready to go, but then he realizes he needs another charge and then he runs off. Uh, his big thing for the marching band is if shit happens, if you lose your head, if you get confused, don't worry, just watch me. But then he needs to make sure that he's smart enough and is Unist, so he runs off to go be Unist. And then we cut to Gerda sobbing over a machine that's broken somehow. Describe describe the scene for us, Nate. I mean, it's clearly supposed to be like a big crisis, all is lost type moment. Except, like, I, I don't know who smashed the machine. They fix it very easily later on. But it is like played like a character died. But it's just the big. It's just the, someone got into their lab and smashed up the big brain zapper machine. And now Ernest can't be smart anymore. We never find out who did it. It's just like never brought up again. They just fix it later on. And the entire time she's uh, sobbing about it, she's blaming just random people, Philistines, Republicans, what have you. It's like the most political in Ernest movie. <laughs> And it's just, again, like, it's one of those things that they just never follow up on, and it's confusing. Yes. It would have worked if it was still, like, the pick nemesis thing, where his, the, or Mr. Axwell came in and destroyed the machine, figuring things out. Yeah, there's, there's no moment where someone sees him being smart and it's like, hmm, I gotta get to the bottom of this. Like, no, there's none of that. There's just that all of a sudden the machine is broken, so he can't use the machine anymore, and he has to learn how to study normal, like a like a regular person uh which again is even more confusing because his his teen friends do help him with that uh and again it is very unclear what they think has been going on yeah it's again like the same the similar thing like the exeronius where it's these two characters just going off doing random invention stuff that no one really pays attention to except for Ernest. yeah so Ernest has a freak out. Uh, what am I going to do? I can't go out there. I'm just me. He rejoins the field, but he doesn't have his marching band hat. He's his regular hat. Uh, but he's still in the marching band uniform. Mm -hmm. He tries to tell Donald not to do that, but Donald says to go on, uh, watch him. And he has to climb up to a scary height on uh, a cherry picker. Would that be accurate, Nate? Uh, it's like, yeah, it's like a scissor lift. Yeah. Uh, and he, he does the thing anyway, he starts improvising, and it starts to work well where he starts, like, leading the band, and they do the song. But then Rodney opens up a banner, and Ernest gets caught on the banner, and is lifted up, and his legs start flailing, and the band starts to flail with him. Yeah, they're, like, following all of his movements, and, you know, so he's, like, fumbling around, and they start fumbling around, and they're, like, bumping into each other, and they flop down on the floor, and they're wiggling all around uh it's all right then he Could be funnier. gets loose and falls directly into Maisie's tuba a lot of yeah a lot of people laugh and a lot of people are upset that he stumbles around with a tube on his head uh actually setting off some nearby fireworks which fly off into some disney princess float that's nearby um some hot dog cart nearby some popcorn vendor and everything gets set fire 
and Ernest is just fumbling around the floor while all this is happening, and everybody's having this giant freak out. Yeah, and then he, he, he eventually he gets his head free, and then he sees the destruction he hath wrought, and sadly tries to crawl back into the tuba. Yeah, which that part works, which, but everything else funny. before it is not as funny as it should be. I agree. It seems like Ernest with his head stuck in a tuba should be a, uh, a no-brainer, should be a slam dunk, should be a home run. All the other things that I've said over and over again throughout this episode. Uh, but it's like... Eh, it's fine. The only, the like the high point of it is just that end part where he tries to crawl back in. Mm-hmm. What we were saying when we were watching it was like I I think it's I'll say this now. One of my my biggest problem with this movie is it kind of runs though so much of the movie hinges on Ernest being unconfident, which kind of runs counter to what his character is all about. And like you know we'll get into it when we get to our list of essentials. And I feel like that's really evidence in this scene where when you think about what if Ernest got his such this podcast is so fucking weird. When you think about Ernest <laughs> with a trumpet on it, a trombone or a tuba on his head, you imagine him like he gets that and then he won't acknowledge that he has a tuba on his head and keeps trying to confidently direct the band while he's got a tuba on his head and he can't see anything. And, you know, that's where the humor comes from is the fact that he's too proud to address the fact that he has a tuba on his head. But in this one, he gets the tuba on it. He's, like, already shaken, and then he gets the tuba on his head and remains shaken. And it's just not as impactful as it could have been had he tried to power through having a tuba on his head, which is a phrase I, I've said so many times that it just sounds like noise to me now. <laughs> Well, uh, I want to say two things to that. First and foremost, this podcast is reflective of the Ernest movie that we watched, and the Ernest movie we watched was insanely weird, so it's fair. Uh, secondly, I make jokes, and I mispronounce things as just like a, a bit that I do. You know, earlier in this podcast, I said uh, Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloombeam was Dr. Otto Gloombeam something. Uh, but when I was talking about this scene in particular, and I said Disney princess float, I meant it. Because we literally have... Like, these three women dressed up in, like, these Disney princess outfits on a float just randomly in the middle of a football field for seemingly no reason that's never addressed, understood, or outlined. And that also gets set on fire. But it's like, what is this? What is happening? What are we looking at? Oh, yeah. This is this is also baffling. Because, like, I saw it initially and I was like, well, it's like homecoming, right? It's a homecoming float. And that's the homecoming queen. But there's three of them, so it can't be the Homecoming Queen. So what <laughs> is it? I don't know. They're like in pageant outfits, but they're on this float. So I don't know what's going on there. No, it's it's insanely baffling. Yeah. I, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head with the confidence thing, but we'll definitely get into that more with the essentials and the other faults of this movie. Which, again, reflects us talking about it crazily on this podcast because it's a crazy movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this transitions to Ernest, you know, after he's sobbing in his tuba, walks up to Mrs. Flugel's class, and she ignores him, but he apologizes to her, and she's, like, pretending to grade papers, uh, saying, hey, sorry, he's me. Or, sorry, I'm me. Sorry, he's me. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, uh, then he sadly walks out, and she, like, looks to the camera wistful, like she still has feelings for Ernest, despite all that, I guess. Uh, again, a relationship that's not really fleshed out. No, and there isn't really a payoff as far as I can remember. There's a slight payoff. 
Yeah, but I mean, they don't get, like, married. No, they do not get, like, married. And he doesn't, like, lift, like, you know, you feel like Ernest should, like, lift her up and, like, kiss her and do, like, a Humphrey Bogart impression or something. But that doesn't really happen either. Well there, little lady. Nope. That's not Yeah, exactly. Can I just say I had another idea about this movie, a better version of this movie? Please. While we were just talking. When you said he's, I'm sorry, he's me. (laughs) What if they had, okay, imagine a version of this movie where they do the smart um, brain zap machine way earlier, and then smart, mean Ernest becomes its own persona, and then the movie is more about Ernest learning that he doesn't need the machine and the magic to do math was in him all along. And then smart Ernest uh, gets scared that he's going to go away forever if Ernest stops using the machine. And he builds a machine that separates him out. And then the final villain of the movie is another doppelganger of Ernest, a la Nash. But one born from within Ernest's own psyche. It's Ernest. Oh, man. That'd be be so good. Also, I think I just pitched Ernest goes to double Ernest again. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but this version, I think, is better. Yeah, though, this one's better. Because it's kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but it's also kind of like the Urkel and Stefan Urkel thing. <laughs> Dr. Ernest and Mr. Ernest? <laughs> no, it would be Dr. Ernest and Mr. Worrell. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I, that is amazing. I would watch the crap out of that movie. Well, everybody tune into the final episode and we might work out how exactly that movie would work. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> So, Ernest is at his low point. He goes to... Oh, wait. Hold on. Holding on. Josh, hold on. Hold on. I just I just realized how, how the climax of the movie would have to work, right? <laughs> Ernest defeats Ernest. And so, Ernest... But Ernest steals the splitter machine. And all of his personas come out and help him. Like Aunt Nelda and the Lumberjack. <laughs> and, like, there's a legion of Ernests. You're pitching Ernest Legion? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that's what I'm pitching. It's it's kind of it's it's like <laughs> Ernest, Ernest Multiplicity. Ah, uh. but then yeah, and then it's it's like evil Ernest has to fight like an army of the good Ernests. <laughs> that's amazing. Ah, oh, that's oh, I love that. Or it's like, you know, he does, like, the John Wayne impression, right? Like, there's that, like, sort of heroic, like, mm, I'm Ernest, but I'm a hero persona. And it's like, what if we got him out and he could fight the the, the smart Ernest? But then they can't do it immediately. And in while they're trying to find that Ernest within Ernest, they accidentally unleash all the other Ernests. <laughs> yeah, they get, they get, like, Aunt Nelda comes out. Yeah, yeah. And they keep, like, zapping him with the machine and a new Ernest persona keeps coming out each time. Oh, that would actually... Like, tying this back into another thing that never paid off in this movie with the cowboy, that could have just been, like, Ernest talking to Cowboy Ernest as, uh, like, guiding him, like, you know the way, Ernest. Of course you do. It's in that brain of yours. And then they yeah. they pay that off by trying to get Cowboy Ernest back out because Cowboy Ernest is the one that could defeat Ernest. You know what I just realized, though, in this conversation? This is the... F- Wait. Yeah. Well, I can't remember... Besides possibly goes to camp, which I, I can't really remember. This is the first one without Aunt Nelda, right? Correct. Huh. Yeah, I was going to get into that later, but there's Weird. no earnest disguises in this movie. He does wear outfits, though, but you're right. There's no disguises. No, he's always earnest or earnest. Mm. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, Ernest goes to his special earnest janitor closet, which uh, we've never seen before. Where he says goodbye to his inanimate objects and his tools, 
um, saying you let the whole school down. He does this classic Ernest bit where he uses pliers, I think, to like speak back to him, like he did with the baby doll in Scared uh, Stupid. Yeah, it's also he does it with with Pokey in um, Ghost of Camp. Pokey eventually speaks in that movie, so that's weird. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Again, weird podcast, weird movies. The the pliers speak back to him in the earnest voice, but then the kids, Maisie, Donald, and Rodney are in the background and start voicing the pliers for Ernest, and Ernest doesn't realize for like a little bit, where it's like, you let the whole school down, and the students take over, and they're like, yeah, you need to apologize to all your friends, and now you have to study like everybody else. And then Ernest eventually realizes it's them, and then they have a weird montage that we'll get into in a second. But I want to use this moment, because this is the first moment that we see Donald, Maisie, and Rodney together as a group, without any setup whatsoever. Yeah, the movie's just like, Meh, they're friends, and they're friends with Ernest. And it's like, they are? They are? Oh, okay. Yeah, also, like... The first thing that we like, had set up was Donald couldn't even talk to Maisie. Like, he never even said hello to her before. And now, all of a sudden, they're, like, pals that they've been friends for forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they set up him having a crush on her. And guess what? There isn't a payoff. It doesn't matter. Why did they do that? What, what happened with this movie? Why is it like this? What Did, the, did they just, like... When they were every day to film it, at the end of it, they just got like blackout drunk or something and forgot everything they filmed the day before. Is it just heavily edited? Like, did, nothing in this movie lines up except for a couple inexplicable things which line up very tightly. I don't understand this film. See, the thing is, Nate, and what we're probably never going to find out is this film had a lot of uh, things on the cutting room floor. Uh, so, Coke Sam's is eventually going to come out with uh, Coke Sam's cut of Ernest Goes to School. He's going to unite the seven. He's going to uh, have his like four-hour-long theatrical cut where they put in the Joker. It's yeah. going to be great. Well, they put in the Jared Leto Joker specifically, obviously. Well, obviously. Duh. <laughs> but yeah, there's like so much that just doesn't make any sense. It's never paid off, and it's crazy. And the Maisie thing is one of it. Uh, so she's just a part of the group. So is Rodney, I guess. And they offer to help out Ernest, and they do this montage, which seems like it's going on for days at a time because this... The background scheme is like the lights off, the lights are on, the lights are off, the lights are on, and they're constantly like talking to Ernest about random stuff, featuring fabulous quotes such as "What guy? Elements? What about the penguin? Helium agriculture?" Uh, yeah, it's amazing. They like write them a couple of real questions, like to ask him in the beginning of the montage, and then by the end, they're just yelling elements at him. What guy? Which country? <laughs> No, even that's more specific than what guy. What guy is the funniest? Because that's like the third question they ask him. They ask him like two real questions and then Rodney just yells what guy at him, which is the funniest Rodney is throughout the entire movie. And the montage is like so quick. Like it's like quick like flip book page turn where it's like light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. And it just, it feels like insane. Should have had a gag where he cut to the other side of the room and there was a fourth character there. Who was just flipping the light switch on and off really fast. That's the pig. It's the pig should have been doing that. It should have been the pig. <laughs> the pig should have been inexplicably part of this group of students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ernest could have had a pet pig. Like, I mean, he had the dog. But I could easily see him having a pig. Because he's supposed to be, like, a redneck. Well, for sure. The pig would have been a great... Like, we've talked about the pig being the nemesis, which I think is really funny, but easily could have been his rim shot for this movie. 
Yeah. I mean, Rimshot is almost, he's kind of a, you know, he's a little bit of a nemesis in a way. He causes problems. Yeah, but he's like the earnest of dogs. Yeah, and we could have gotten the earnest of pigs, but we didn't get it. No. So this culminates in Ernest falling asleep at his desk, but he's waking up by uh, DJ Rodney and uh, over like the announcements, not um, like in person. And then he gets to his locker and tells Donald that his brain hurts and maybe mankind is not supposed to have all this knowledge. <laughs> Just studying. <laughs> like the entire movie, he's had his brain charged full of knowledge. But now when he's put in the effort, mankind wasn't supposed to have all this knowledge. <laughs> so inconsistent. Uh, and then he opens his locker and sees a squished up Garda saying that they fixed the machine uh, overnight and offers Ernest a charge, and he turns it down uh, and slams the locker on Gerda as she screams that we need you. What about our Nobel Prize? Yeah. What about our Nobel Prize? Uh, yeah, so this is like this. Um, remember this, dear listener. Remember this moment that is clearly supposed to be the culmination of a character arc for Ernest where he rejects the usage of this machine to artificially enhance his intelligence and abilities. Remember this, because the people making the movie that did not. They didn't. Yeah, also, again, uh, we're at the hour mark of this movie. Yes. There is a half an hour left of the movie after Ernest has gone through this arc. I remember distinctly us checking to see how much time was left in the movie at around this point and being like, how? How? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we shall explain how in excruciating detail for the next hour of this but podcast. We're going to explain it, and you, the audience, are still going to be like, how? How is that a half hour? How did that happen? <laughs> They're lying oh. about how long this movie is. <laughs> we are already lo- talking about the movie longer than it was, by a, by a significant margin. And we're not even doing it justice. <sighs> Alright. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's get we gotta through get, this. We've got to get through this. I can't believe this is already longer than this the Scared Stupid episode. It's longer than Scared Stupid. It's longer than Rides Again. It's, oh man. Okay. We, we did two uh, episodes with a third guy on the podcast, and neither of them were as long as this fucking episode. <laughs> uh, but we gotta do it, Nate. We gotta do it for our, our listeners. Uh, they mm-hmm. need to know. It's gonna be really funny when we record a whole episode where we come up with a movie, an entire movie plot, and it's shorter than this. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, well we'll pay we'll pay that off but let's get to this next scene which i think i think nate you specifically enjoyed this scene where Ernest takes a test to what can only be described as music from the zelda game ocarina of time yeah okay this, this scene has a lot of there's a lot of Ernest slapstick that's funny and some some weird reality bending stuff but yeah, it starts and it's this like ominous music and it just, I immediately was like, this sounds like Zelda music. And the more it goes, the more it just sounds like music from Ocarina of Time. You brought up like the water temple. It kind of sounds like that or it kind of sounds like, um, like when oh, you're like, 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 yeah, like, like stuff that they play when you're like underground or something. It was like, I'm just waiting for him to have to like shoot an arrow into an eyeball on the wall to get out of this classroom. Uh, and the rest of the music in this movie does not sound like this. All of a sudden, it becomes this sort of strange atmospheric soundtrack. Yeah, Ernest gets this standardized test, and it's like, it's closed with a little rubber band thing. Uh, And everyone else just immediately breaks it with their pencil. And then Ernest spends a really long time stretching it out and getting all earnesty with it. He sees the... Hold on. Pause here. Let's just uh, turn to our audience now. 
And uh, we're going to pause for a second so you can guess what is one of the first things that Ernest does to try to open this. Did you guess use his mouth? If so, correct. He bites on it, and that also doesn't work. Yeah. I, I don't even remember. How does he solve the problem? <laughs> he takes a giant lug nut wrench out of hammer space. Oh, true, he does do that. Again, like, one of the more cartoony aspects of Ernest. Like, we talked about how Ernest was cartoony and rides again. In this movie, he takes that cartoony notch up to the extreme. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he, he briefly sees the, the proctor of the exam as, like, a Nazi. Uh, and then at the end of the test, he sees her kind of, like, as a monster because she, like, shoots her tongue out of her mouth like a lizard to eat a fly. Yeah, so uh, the, the next problem that Ernest faces while taking those tests, because this would only happen to Ernest, is once he gets his test open, a fly just comes up and bothers him. And this fly, uh, like, continually is all over him. He's trying to get it. At one point, it gets in his face, and he hits his the test on his face to get it and then the teacher's like is there a problem mr worrell and suddenly she's in like a nazi uniform mm-hmm. and then he says like no and then uh again he's trying to get the fly and then later the teacher just demon tongue eats the fly and that's never explained yeah because again it's like okay so the part where she's a nazi it feels pretty clear like that's in Ernest's mind he's seeing her like that because she's intimidating and he's scared about the test she eats the fly at the end, and that's the resolution of the fly. So it's like, what actually happened? Did she just swat it? It's also it? the resolution of the scene. Like, that re- that resolves the scene. That is the cutaway to the next scene. Yeah, and we don't find out Ernest's test results until the very end of the movie, where they're just kind of mentioned by a character. They go like, oh, you, you passed a big test, Ernest. Yeah, the, the test that determines whether or not you graduate in that one class that yeah. you took the test <laughs> Because all of a sudden, like, the movie f- forgets that it's about Ernest passing high school. And, like I said, it just becomes a sports movie at the end of the movie. They're, and then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you pass the test or whatever. Yeah. So this is the sports movie section. Cue sports noise noise. Noises. Noise. Did you say noise noise? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm I'm getting loopy. This movie's driving me insane. <laughs> okay, it just sounds like they sound like like fun aliens or robots or something. So uh, it cuts to Ernest after the teacher eats the fly. It cuts to him at the uh, marching band area, and yeah. he accidentally, as he's like doing stuff, Rodney I just remembered what happens some... at the marching band. Yeah, <laughs> wait for it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he's at the marching band. He's doing something, and Rodney's, like, in this nearby shed, and for some reason, he, like, sh- I don't even remember what happened to the scene, but for some reason, he, like, slams the shed door shut and knocks Rodney out and locks him in the shed. And then Ernest leaves. It's like a big uh, rolling equipment case for the band. Oh, okay. It's it's weird because it's for the marching band, but it's, like, the thing that you would put, like, amps in for, like, a concert. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And Ernest leaves, and then Mr. Axwell shows up and stops Coach Decker, uh, not the wrestler coach, the other coach, that uh, made Ernest go in with the wrestler coach. Yes. And convinces Coach Decker to, even though Coach Decker is assured that they're going to win, uh, convinces Coach Decker that once the schools merge, he'll be the head coach at the uh, merge school. This is the only time that we find out that he plans to merge the schools, by the way. There's no other school that we ever talk about or know that's getting merged. 
but this is like this is when it brings is brought up and says that he'll guarantee the coach that head job when they merge schools, if the coach throws the football game, that's about to happen. So they have an excuse to shut down the school because the school's football team loses a single round. I, I guess it's just, I think, I don't think it's necessarily that if they lose, and this is me making excuses for the movie, but I don't think it's necessarily <laughs> that if they lose, then they will get defunded. It's just that if they win and they're champions, it'll be harder to defund them, I mm. guess. Yeah, so they shake hands. The coach is unhappy about it, but agrees. And Rodney overhears everything. Do you think the stakes of this movie are lost on us because we went to school in a district that only had one high school? No. I mean, I will admit that we probably don't have the same like experience of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, this movie just sets us up awfully. No, I mean, it does, for sure. But like, do people care about their high school this way? Like, I don't know. I mean, I had this experience to a certain extent, uh, not in high school, but in middle school. After my seventh grade, they shut down the middle school I was going to and merged it with the other schools. Uh, and it was uh, not that big a deal. I didn't really care. But I, do people care? I don't know. There's lots of movies about school spirit, but I never had any. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, our, our school was not uh, the best. The same thing, it's like, I, it's always weird to me with, like, high school football. Like, I can I can get invested in the stakes of a high school football thing in fiction, because it's, it's the same as getting invested in the stakes of any sports movie, but it was like, I thought about this recently, and I was like, I don't think I ever knew who was even on our football team. Same. 100%. Like, I was like, I, it existed, it definitely existed and they had games, but it was like, there were was no person in our school where I thought of them as a football player. Yeah. Like, like they were like clearly like popular kids, but there was there was like the football jock or the yeah. head cheerleader or the captain of the chess club. You know, like there's like classic stereotypes from that uh a bowling for soup song. The clearest like click like that we had in our school was just like the drama kids. Like you could those were the ones you could identify. Yes. You could definitely identify me as a drama kid. Mm-hmm. Were you a drama kid? Yeah. <laughs> Well, shit, maybe I just don't remember any of high school. <laughs> maybe the problem is just that I have a bad memory. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I, I think it's the movie. I think uh, maybe our experience is super different, but also just movies in general have high school on a different playing field. Yeah, high, high school is weird in movies. That's true. And this movie in particular just tries to emulate that, but does it very poorly. Yeah. So, are we, are we getting into the marching band performance now? We're getting there. Uh, we have just a little bit to go. Uh, so, <laughs> I know, it's, it's, you'll see. You'll see how crazy it is, listeners, I promise. The wait will be worth it. <laughs> so, the coach uh, coaches badly on purpose. The, uh, the football team is like a losing montage. Uh, and then they get to halftime. Uh, there's this, this um, announcer who's not Rodney who uh, is like this adult guy who's just doing the announcements that we've never seen before, says that there's 30 minutes of this massacre to go. At this point, we cut to the muskrat mascot, which we haven't seen before, walk up to the shed storage container and hear Rodney yelling out for help and lets him out. And Rodney's like, I owe you one, pal. I love this guy. And I feel like there was like the point or maybe like a point in the script where like the mascot takes off its head at the end of the movie and it's like Coke Sam's or whatever. But like that was never done. Again, like, they, they, the mascot 
could have just been the cow like they could have gotten rid of the cowboy ghost and had it be the mascot and then they could have had yeah. a bit where it's like the mascot is like a silent protector of the school which would have been funny <laughs> uh yeah. but they don't do that that's the only time the mascot like you see it before like in the opening and, and stuff like that but this is the only point where the mascot is important in any way so rodney grabs Maisie and tells her all about what's gonna happen uh, and then Maisie and Rodney go to Gerda for help, and they do the classic movie thing you're, of... You're giving this movie... You're making this movie sound more coherent than it is, because I don't believe they go to them for help. They just all of a sudden are being helped by Gerda. <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> I'm, like, retroactively in my brain trying to make this movie make sense. They just, like, all of a sudden, they're at the locker room for the football team, and, like, Gerda and Bobby are there with, like, sleeping gas to help them with their oh, totally no, no, bonkers plot. No, 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 I'm right, you're missing a scene. Uh, oh, because this sets I... up something later. Uh, they go to Gerda for help, and they uh, they talk all quiet, like the classic movie thing of, like, here's what we're gonna do, and then we don't actually say what we're gonna do, so it helps the movie out. Mm, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I apologize to the movie. I'm sorry, Coke Sam's. <laughs> and then it cuts to them going with Gerda and Bobby to put sleeping gas into the locker room of the football players and knock them all out and replace them with people who don't play football. Replace them with the marching band. Okay, so two things I want to say. One... It's still, like, okay, even if they do have that scene, it's still nonsense because, like, the, those characters have not interacted with each other at any point. It's like, okay, now they're friends, and the, Gerda and Bobby are willing to help the teens who are all inexplicably friends with Ernest. It's like, it's, st it's still, like, mushy. The other thing is, this is maybe one of the most, like, not baffling, but just one of the most, like, I'm not even sure what the word I'm looking for is, but, like, I guess just one of the funniest choices but that the movie makes. Because it's like, clearly, at some point they decided they wanted to have the big football game where Ernest wins the championship be the the finale of the movie, be the big climax. But then they wrote the movie and realized it was mostly about the marching band. So the way they cut the Gordian knot on this one is they just have the marching band become the football team for the last <laughs> act of the movie. It's wild. Like, this is, it's one of the biggest galaxy brain screenwriting choices I've ever seen. Yeah, it's literally insane. <laughs> because it doesn't seem to make any goddamn sense. Ever. At any point. At all. Well, this point now, now that, like, at, from this point of the movie onward, it's just, like, in another dimension. It just goes... <laughs> It goes so far off the rails that it's like it's it's crashed into the ocean and is swimming in the Marianas Trench. It, it, there are there are no rails to be seen. We're in a dimension without rails by the end of this movie. So the setup for this is that while Maisie and Rodney and Gerda and Bobby are doing this and getting some of the marching band to replace the football players, for some reason, Ernest is doing a halftime show with uh, the marching band. Where they're doing all this like, like really like practice dances and stuff to distract everybody. So I guess it's like half of the marching band is replacing the football yeah. jocks, and the other half is doing the funky muskrat cat. Okay, so <laughs> they start playing like a funk beat 
Not a good one, by the way, but a funk beat. Um, and then the announcer starts rapping for them, like Home, a clearly homeboy old... moving down the straight. Got his homies moving to a funky muskrat beat. What? Yeah, he 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 references James Brown deliberately at one point. Um, but they wrote a rap for him, or is he freestyling? I I I give me a yap 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 yap. Uh, is it is. Like we were like wheezing during this scene, it, it it destroyed us. Like the the funk music starts and it's and Ernest is like very awkwardly dancing, uh, in a very white guy sort of way, and then the like when the announcer starts rapping, it was like all of my buns shot out of my body like Sonic losing his rings. Like I just couldn't process it. We were both the uh, the head Nazi from Indiana Jones uh, in Ark of the Covenant, where we just like our brain, our faces just melted. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it was like that's the start of this like act of the movie, <laughs> and they spend a really long time doing weird marching band performances. They do a thing where they all get in a ring in the center of the field and like lean on each other and do like a the wave in a circle while they're playing their instruments. It's called the spiral life. It is called that. Yes. And there's two other ones that I want to point out. First one is horns in Spain. As they just throw woodwind instruments to, to the, uh, the cheerleaders. Well, to be clear, those are, those are brass instruments. But yeah, they throw their instruments high into the sky, and then people catch them and start playing them. And it's another instance of them sharing instruments, which is gross. <laughs> yeah. Kids, don't share instruments. Let me just tell you. Let me, let me tell you another <laughs> another lesson from being in band. Uh, one of the grossest smells in the world is the mouthpiece of a brass instrument. It is grody. <laughs> so... Don't like the, that, like, it's slightly less gross to me than sharing a woodwind instrument because you don't have to, like, completely soak the inside of your trumpet mouthpiece to get it to work. Still pretty gross. Yeah. Ew. Ew. <laughs> this culminates in uh, what is called the saber dance. As Ernest does a Muppets routine where he goes along the line of people playing instruments and uses them to play their own instruments by hitting them with, like, uh, mallets. <laughs> And it's basically like, yeah. I think the, the song they're doing, it sounded like Flight of the Bumblebee to me. I think the song might be called Saber Dance. I don't actually know. But it's like, I'm not, I can't do it. But you know, it's like all, it's fast. And he's like running up and down. Yeah. Uh, it's very Muppetsy. Uh, and then now the marching band is the football team. And Ernest goes out to lead them. And he has, he's in uniform. He's in a he's in like a football jersey, and he has a leather helmet over his hat. Yeah, it's a pretty yes, good look. Yeah, again, like this movie has no disguises, but it's got some some solid costume changes for our boy Ernest. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so then we get a long ass comedy football sequence. Well, hold on. So this pays off a, a small bit where Ernest says he's going to share everybody why he's called Crazy Legs Worrell, paying off a really teeny bit from the movie earlier. Yeah, well, literally one line from the beginning of the movie. Yeah, this is the thing that I care about paying off. (laughs) 
and then he says, give me the ball and watch the show. And then he literally just gets tackled repeatedly as he catches the ball. It's pretty funny. He's, he gets his, his, he is completely owned over and over again. And then, uh, this transitions to a montage where of him just like playing offling and tackled where he's commented on his playing like a disgrace. And then there's a specific, another Muppet scene in between this where literally Ernest is hammered into the ground by sledgehammers yeah. by two other people on the other team. Yeah, they have, like, big cartoon <laughs> circus mallets, and they're just, like, they're just hammering him into the ground like he's a stake. And then, like, they just cut away, and that is not acknowledged ever again. It's just, it's in between, like, the football stuff, it's just weird. It reminded me a lot of, like, um, did you see uh, Jonah Hex? Yes, I saw Jonah Hex. It reminded me of Jonah Hex, where it's, like, they're doing that uh, main fight thing with him and... John Malkovich? John Malkovich, where, like, in between the fight, there's also this dream sequence of them having a fight. Yeah, that movie's weird. Yeah, that movie's very weird. But, like, it reminded me of, like, it's like a sim- symbolic thing of, like, you know, this is him getting defeated. Of course, he's getting hammered into the ground by the players. But also, they're showing him getting hammered into the ground. And it just doesn't do what I think they wanted it to do. I mean, it gets back to the thing that's constant in this movie, where it's, like, unclear what parts are supposed to be imaginary and what parts are supposed to be real yeah i do want to say about jonah hex yeah i was really excited for that movie because uh it was directed by the guys who did crank and crank 2 jonah hex is a cool character i was very into josh brolin at the times so like that that was like post no country for old men right mm-hmm. and i was super into that movie and i really liked him in that movie and then uh mastodon was going to do the score and i was like in my mind i was like this is going to be a perfect movie and then I saw it, and I was like, this is not a perfect movie. Or even a particularly good one. <laughs> it's kind of no, super boring. No, that movie sucked. I, like, pretty much fell asleep to it. Yeah. The... In theaters. I haven't done that to, like, many movies, but that happened. But, you know, Lance Reddick got a, probably got a big paycheck, and that, that's always nice to see. Here's out to my boy, Lance Reddick. Love you, man. So yeah, uh, that's just like what I was thinking about because it's like it tries to do the same thing where it's like a symbolic gesture that just doesn't work. Yeah. So this transitions to uh, Gerda showing up and she's like, "I fixed it," and offers to accelerate Ernest's brain so he plays football better. You know what? What do you think Ernest would do, dear listeners, uh, when he's given this option that he turned down recently and had this whole character arc to get accelerated? What do you think he would do? Remember what I told you to remember, which is the part where he turns down using the machine because he learned that he doesn't need it. So logically, in this sequence, which, you know, clearly it's supposed to be a thing where he's getting another final test, another temptation. Uh, You know, he's a real hero's journey type moment. Um, So what does he do? If you guessed he's just okay with it, you're right. Yep. They just use the machine. Do they acknowledge that he he learned not to use the machine earlier? No, not at all. Is there at any point where it seems like there's a downside to using the machine? No, not at all. Does using it make him arrogant and mean like it did before? Mm-mm. Maybe she does say that she improved it. So are we supposed to assume the the improvement is that the machine doesn't make you a jerk anymore? I honestly, who knows? This is one another one of the most baffling writing choices i've ever seen in a movie 
I mean, it does culminate in something that is enjoyable, like just visual treat, where Ernest mm-hmm. rips off his football jersey to, to reveal his hat and vest. And that's how he's going to play now. Yeah, and I want to, like, I really want to emphasize the, okay, that's amazing. We'll, can, we'll talk about that in a second, because that is one of my favorite visuals in the movie. But I really want to emphasize that, like, this is, it. he just uses it, and it's fine, and it helps them. It's, like, it's not a thing where it's supposed to be tragic. It's not a thing where it's, like, well, I guess you, sometimes you got to compromise. It doesn't come to bite him in the ass. There's no consequence. He has a whole movie about how he shouldn't use the machine, and then he just uses the machine at the end. Like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of an example of, like, what this would be like if it happened in another movie. Like, hmm... I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it, it's it is literally like any movie where where the character learns that the the magic was in them all along. If at the end they were just like, but also the magic's kind of a little bit outside me too. <laughs> just like, fails to learn the lesson. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So he gets super supercharged, and then he tears off his just he tears off his jersey, but also the pads at the same time, like. Uh, fucking Superman open up his shirt or Hulk Hogan tearing up his Hulkamania shirt. And it's very funny. Yeah, he does reference the Hulkster earlier when they're doing the wrestling uh, bit. So, I don't know if this is like supposed to be calling back to that, but he does that. And then he goes out in the football field and dances with like the players. He becomes like the Roadrunner, where he basically like mm-hmm. throws a football to himself as he speeds past everybody. Uh, and then yeah. they the whole marching band does a bunch of plays. Where they they do like they just beat up the other team, like they stomp on their foot and pull their helmet, and that's how they get the ball through. And then they dance with them like ballroom style to confuse them as Ernest throws to an open player. And then this happens, and this again like goes against the entirety of the movie, where the Gerda takes the machine and is just putting the marching band football players in line and charging them up one by one to go out and go play. Yeah. Remember how earlier they had to test the machine on Ernest because they couldn't afford to test it on a monkey? And they haven't test used it on anyone else except Ernest, and the last time they used it on Ernest, it made him a jerk? And gave him a stroke? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Now they're using it on kids. So, that happens. And they, there's like, they get they get better playing, they're doing the thing. And then, uh, I will, again, express my hatred for this later on. But they're at the, like, the last play of the field. And Maisie does her whispering thing again, where she's like, I got a plan, we're gonna do this, and then they do like, this is the plan, we're gonna do this plan. And mm-hmm. I, I, this is, I, I can't, this is too much for me. Nate, can you, can you take this bullet for me right now and just tell, tell the listeners what happens? Cause this is just, like, I'm already boiling with anger. Uh, so she, um, seduces one of the other players, but all she does is, like, look at him and, like, motion with her finger and whisper, and she tells him he's cute, and he's all like, and then, um, that's, that's the plan, that's what they do. The one, the one girl character, the one moment that she gets is she uses the fact that she's a girl to get a big, threatening football player on the other team to get so horny for her that he becomes bad at football. And he just hands her the ball while Ernest, in full Cupid costume, shoots a golden arrow at the back of his football helmet. And one of the other players plays violin in the background. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I think, like, set me off the most, was when uh, the announcer was like, ah, the old Cupid play. 
as it's like a thing. What other circumstance would that have ever come up? Ah, yes, the moment where a girl uses her superwoman powers to make another opponent horny enough while a third player comes out dressed up as Cupid and shoots an arrow in their helmet as a fourth player does some violin music nearby, and then they just give the ball to her. A Cupid play. I mean, I don't know. I do think that's kind of funny when something, like, wacky and totally inexplicable happens and other characters react like it's a thing that's happened a million times. Uh, But um, perhaps we're not giving them enough credit. What if this is, is... what if they're just really progressive? Like, most of these games, they're going to be uh, all male teams versus each other. So, you know, may- maybe they're just a lot more open uh, than other high school districts at the time. It is weird. Like, the implication that this keeps happening in high school football is a little unsettling. Yeah, yeah this is a whole, the whole sequence is very weird and, and not not good. It's not good. It's bad. Also... That a high school student in a movie where the main character is a 40-year-old man uses her wily woman powers to win a football game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to move on, though, because we've, we've got to finish talking about this movie. Please. It's almost, we've almost been at this for three hours. we got to keep going. I know. I know. I know. I know. All right. So, Ernest runs out for the final play. Gerda and Bobby realize they didn't charge Ernest, and Bobby yells out, Nine! And Ernest starts to stroke out as he's giving the call, uh, but then just, just dodges people as Ernest, and a football player slips on ketchup because the pig comes out and bites into a bottle that had ketchup. I think it just steps on it. I, that, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like it's like, you know, a thing that I'm just throwing in there, mm-hmm. but that actually happens. And then Ernest knocks into some marching man people, and jumps on top of a bass drum, and then bass drum runs to a touchdown while some clown music plays, and Mr. Axwell stares on glassy-eyed. And then the the fourth African-American character in this movie comes out with no lines uh, and just growls at him and tries to run at him, and then tackles Ernest. The ball is flying. Ernest crawls with more clown music to catch the ball and catches it, and then the muskrats win. And then Coach Deckard gets upset with a bunch of uh, football players in their underwear, uh, and they dump Gatorade yep. on him. That is what happens. Then Ernest gets tackled by the entire football team from the other group, but then they also lift him up. And Rodney goes to the principal, and this one other character who's never introduced, it, but is by context somebody on the school board, to tell them that Mr. Axwell was trying to do some collusion with the coach to get the team to fail. And then she says he's fired, and she assures that the school stay open. And then the, the muskrat mascot comes up and knocks out Mr. Askwell, and that's the last we see of him. Yep. That, that is what I, I feel like that's... Uh, you just Everything is like my reaction is, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, that did happen. I saw it in the movie somehow. Uh, and it ends with Miss Flugel coming up to uh, say that she's happy and proud of Ernest as everybody cheers. It fades away the next day. Uh, where the students are in the Ernest special janitor room where they help him study and saying that he passed the test, just, you know, and he's going to graduate, and he has this, like, box with him. And then they leave as Miss Flugel shows up, and Ernest shows her mm-hmm. this music box that he made. And when he opens it, it screams the same loud noise from earlier, just like the Supremo vac. I, I just, it's it's like, we got to the end, and it's like, they're like, hey, remember this thing? And we're like, 
No, no, we don't remember this thing. A million fucking things have happened since then. Why do you think we care about this? <laughs> so Ernest smashes the machine, the music box that he lovingly made for Miss Flugel, and what does he find? The motor from earlier that made that same noise that escaped. But he put it in there. He had to have put it in there. What? Now, uh, listeners, uh, we've been uh, enjoying having you here, and we know it's been a long ride, but we have to just get your attention for this one moment right now. When Ernest uh, finds this motor, what do you think he does? Uh, what is his go-to that he does with this motor once he finds it? Uh, do we want to pause for a second to see if you have a correct answer? If you guessed, puts it in his mouth again. You are correct. That's a rule of threes, baby. <laughs> it's worse than that. Because he puts it in his mouth, he bites down on it, it finally stops, he spits up the mashed-up motor, and then he just puts it right back in his mouth! And that's how the movie ends! The movie literally... That is the last scene of this wild fucking movie, is that him just looking at the camera, shrugging, and putting the chunk of yeah. mechanics back in his mouth he just cuts the credits and we were both like that's that what that's it like i haven't been this baffled <laughs> by a movie's final moments since i saw uh my five wives starring ronnie dangerfield which is a movie that literally ends with him saying a joke about how he has a small dick and then just smash cut the credits yeah that's what i'm saying like why did, doesn't it end with him like kissing or something why does it end on that what is this fucking movie why is this movie like this? It felt... It, 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 okay, here's my... Can I give you my big timeline theory on this one that I think makes it make sense? Yeah, let's do a smash cut to a timeline corner right now. Okay. I, I touched on this a little bit, I think, in the previous episode. But here, here is my genuine take on this. After goes to jail, where Ernest, in a very big, uh, you know, sort of media attention-grabbing type way... Uh, flies into space and thwarts a bank robbery and defeats his evil doppelganger and escapes from jail, becomes a cultural figure, and then they make movies about him, and Rides Again and Goes to School are both fictional Ernest movies that exist in the Ernest universe about an exaggerated, sort of unreal version of Ernest's character. But, I know what you're thinking, that's sort of dissatisfying, right? Because then it's like, well, this isn't about a real Ernest, and we're like too many layers deep in the unreality, and it's like, but if you take into account sort of like Marvel Universe multiverse type rules, and that means that somewhere out there, there is a world in the multiverse that is identical to this fictional world. So we can still take solace in the fact that this Ernest is a real and true Ernest, just not the Ernest we know and love. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't I don't like it. I Josh, there, after Ernest Rides Again, there's never going to be a satisfying one. The, the timeline is exploded. So this is what, I, what I'm proposing is there's three timelines now. There's Victory Timeline, which has um, goes to jail. There's a Defeat Timeline, which has uh, Scared Stupid and Saves Christmas. And then there's the Sub-Ernest, Ernest 2 Timeline, which has this and rides again. This would obviously be first. He graduates from high school and then becomes a college janitor. And those are fictionalized in the other Ernest universes. Like, that, that's, that, that is the only way that I can square this in my mind. It's not the only way, but that's the way I choose to square it. Okay. Well, 
I mean, I'm, I'm with you, but I need to I need to be a little bit of a, a devil's advocate right now. So, there's three timelines, but two Ernest movies in each, after the six Ernest movies we've watched. Uh, and you're saying that the third timeline is Ernest in movies as a fictionalized yeah. Ernest. But in that universe, is he played by Ernest? Who knows? Okay, but what I'm trying to get to the, is, like, what makes the fictionalized Ernest like worthy of being in a movie is it that he was in scared stupid and he saved the town from trolls and now he's no, a it's folk goes, hero it's, it's, is it that he saved christmas it's to jail it's no it's goes to jail it's the events of goes to jail why would that like that movie doesn't end with him being famous no but of course the, like the, it's a big deal all the cops show up at the fucking bank like the story of what you mean the ha- prison guards yeah but there's there's whatever there's a big, there's a big conflict. It could be any of them. It could, <laughs> that's the thing. This could be, the movies could exist in any of the Ernest timeline. Because any, yeah, he, it could be scared stupid. Like, but then at the end, I think at the end, they, like, he's kind of, anyway, I was just saying, Ernest goes on a big adventure and becomes famous and they make movies about him, which then creates a universe where there's a more exaggerated version of Ernest. An Ernest that's immortal, but in a cartoon way, not in a mystical warrior type way. Like he is in the other movies. This podcast is so weird. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? I think so. Like this creates an earnest universe that works differently than the other universes. But you, you know, that's how it works in Marvel, right? It's always like, like Age of X is like a fake created world. But then also there's a universe that's just exactly like that. That exists on its own. So it's like... I think the, mm-hmm. the reason these are exaggerated is because they're starting from a point of being fictionalized. But then I'm also saying this is its own living, breathing universe in the earnest multiverse. I have to stop talking about this. I can't be keep saying these things. <laughs> Let's move on, please. Save me. Okay, I think... It... <laughs> I think it's time to move on. I hope by the next Ernest movie we can uh, maybe cement the timeline a little bit better. So I gotta be honest with you, buddy, right now, it's still falling apart. It's not. It's fine. It's perfectly stable. It's just not the most satisfying. I, we have to just... We can't stop. We gotta stop. Let's move on. Okay. This is the next part of the podcast. Okay. Please. We don't say okay. anything else well, about the part... timeline or I'm gonna come apart. Okay, first... First, I just want to make a note. You know, we, we've talked a lot about how, like, these side characters in movies don't really have endings. Mm-hmm. This movie is no stranger to that. The football jocks don't really get a payoff. The Rodney character is barely a character. He's, like, mostly a transition piece when he's doing his DJ stuff. Mm-hmm. The crush between Donald and Maisie never gets paid off. By the end of the movie, Miss Flugel is dating Ernest? We don't know. Maybe. Principal Proctor, uh, Mr. Axwell, they don't get anything endings either mr axel's just knocked out by the mascot and that's it no one cares gerda and bobby uh i don't know i I don't know what their ending is they don't really have no i don't it's just nothing is paid off except for the small things that are paid off the crazy here's the thing the, the weirdest part to me is in the beginning they set up Ernest tries to give the football team advice and they reject them then later Ernest leads the a, a football team made up of the marching band. Not, not the football team. He leads a football team to victory and also the football coach is exposed as being corrupt and is at least implied to be fired 
but then they don't have Ernest become the football coach. Like, they set up all of this stuff that seems like it's pointing to Ernest's victories that he becomes the football coach, and then they just decide they don't care, and they don't show it, and it doesn't happen. And I just... Everything about this movie is baffling and frustrating to me. I feel like maybe I gave it too high a score. Because now we're getting to the end of this long conversation. And I, 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 if I had a physical copy of it, I would throw it across the room. <laughs> I really think that you were too generous with your original rating of this movie. I, I think you're right. I, I, like, I didn't have a bad time watching it, but like... The more I think about it, the more it is like a, it's a, it's like a madness. It is, I feel like I'm the psychiatrist that had to talk to the Joker. You know how that always happens? Like, that this movie is the Joker. <laughs> and you're Harley Quinn now. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not, I don't get to be cool. I'm just like the, you know, I'm like the guy in Killer Smile or something. Okay. Um, what do you think, now that we've gone through this entire movie, what do you think about my epiphany with regards to Saves Christmas? Do you think that holds water? You're totally right. You're totally right. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. I didn't want to think I was going crazy from this movie, because this movie I mean, will make you go crazy. Is it Cherry? Is it John Cherry? We, well, he's back in the next one, right? That's going to be the real test. That it's, I, I think, like, he was the the uh, the super ego of this whole, of this trio. I, I think that Varney is the id, and I, I guess Cook Sam's is the ego. But, like... What John Archery must have been the one that was keeping everyone in line because he's gone and now it is anarchy. Yes. Yeah, so the next movie, Ernest Slam Dunk, is written and directed by John Archery, and Coke Sam's does not seem to be a part of it, according to IMDb. Yeah, he went back to the fifth dimension to fucking menace <laughs> Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, we'll have to see how that goes, but I think it definitely proved that John Archery was like the restraint. He was holding it all together. Yeah. yeah. Alright, so, what are we doing now? What's the next part of this podcast? We gotta okay. finish this fucking podcast, Josh, please. Uh, we, we, I, I fear we'll be talking about this movie forever if we don't finish it soon. Uh, I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. Alright, uh, we gotta get into uh, Essential Elements and then High and Low Points. Which one do you want to start with? Let's do Essential Elements. And I, uh, let's try and speed round it to a certain extent. Okay. Some of them we can focus on, but I, I, Hat and Vest, it's there. Low status with ambition slash class struggle. He doesn't have a very clear ambition, and that's a problem with this movie. But he yes. has low status, and there is an element of class struggle. Cra- okay. Quote, craftsmen, definitely there. It's a big part of this movie. He builds the, the stupid vacuum machine. Uh, folksy, quote, wisdom, end quote, kind of a little bit. There's the part where he gives the advice to the um, to the team. But it, part of it is this movie that this can't be a huge element of the movie because he spends so much of it uh, smart. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say no to that one, then. No, not, yeah. It's, like, very, like, it's a, you could argue a little bit, but it's, like, not really. Yeah, uh, okay. Catchphrases, uh, EU, you know what I mean? Snicker, it's all there. He does them all. The EU actually isn't. Oh, it isn't? I, oh, okay. I thought it No, was... he doesn't do that once, which no. is weird, especially with, like, the toilet scene in the beginning of the movie. Oh, it should have been there. Would have been funny. But he does the other ones. Yeah, he does. In fact... We commented that the Snicker was absent from Rides Again. It's very forward in this movie. Like, it's very, like, in your face. He does it a lot in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slapstick comedy, for sure. All over the joint. Uh, Gamera-esque, friend to all children slash child at heart. I think, for sure. I mean, they're older, but yeah. And the job at heart thing, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, complicated relationship with machines and animals, for sure. I mean, the animals less so, but 
machines. I mean, he, the plot is that he's got to use a crazy brain zapper machine, and then it like it fucks him up and stuff. So for sure, and the the engine. Right. I think this movie would have been better if he interacted with the pig more. Yeah. So that's what we kept saying. Yeah. I think I wouldn't like say they got the animals part right, and that's a bad thing for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, incompetent and inept, absolutely, and that's the whole 100%. plot of the movie. Cartoon violence, more so than in any other one. Mm-hmm. Overly and quickly confident. Again, like, that's there, sort of. It's But it's like, they kind of strip that out of his character and then make it a flaw introduced by the machine, which I think is a big part of why this movie doesn't really work as well as the other one. For sure. And I think that's, like, a big part of why this is not a great movie is because uh, they strip, like, the, the confidence out of Ernest, and that's, like, the whole plot is that he's not confident. Yeah. And it just doesn't work with Ernest as a character. For sure. Can't eat. I guess he doesn't eat in this. He puts stuff in his mouth, but, yeah, we don't see him eat. He talks about nope, eating. Uh, but he does not eat. Uh, easily bamboozled slash distracted. Mm. Eh, not really. I guess he gets distracted. But he doesn't really get bamboozled. Alright, now we get to the next section, which I kind of uh, am interested to talk about. Uh, supernatural element. It's it's supernatural, but it is not magical. This is the this is the science fiction earnest movie. Yeah, but there's also, like, the cowboy and, like, some other unexplained stuff. Is that supernatural? I don't know. That's, like, oh, like, is this magical realist? Like, that stuff's not, like, treated with the weight of the supernatural the way that like Trantor is it's just it's inexplicable um so like I guess you could count that but I definitely think the brain zapping machine counts as a supernatural element in and of itself okay but do you think uh this movie would have worked better if there was a better supernatural element in it I I think what I like I said earlier I feel like this would have been better if they if there was more of the sci-fi stuff I don't think this they needed to introduce like a wizard's curse or some shit I don't think that would that would have made the movie more confusing but uh, I could have I could have stood them to ramp up some of the sci-fi stuff and dealt more with like if the plot was more centered around the brain machine then it would have had probably had more of a focus and been better. Okay, so then we should definitely keep that as part of the essentials. Yeah, I think that's definitely. Maybe we should just like adjust it to say supernatural slash sci-fi element. Oh, well, I could say uh, what about fantastical? Fantastical's good. Then that would just cover everything. Yeah, that's that's better because that way it has a wider wider range. Okay. Uh, chaos, for sure, probably more than any other movie so far. Mm-hmm. Ernest must suffer physically and emotionally, but ultimately triumph. I mean, I guess he does, but it's less affecting than it is in any of the other ones. Yeah. He probably could have stood to seem to suffer more, I suppose, for, to gain more sympathy. Jumping ahead, he does hit rock bottom with the tuba, but it's just not done well, as we <laughs> talked about, so... <laughs> Yes, he does hit rock bottom with the tuba. Welcome to our weird podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> Self-sacrifice? Nope. I, I Again, this isn't really here, but I do think that it would have been better. I feel like this movie needed more emotional weight to it. I mean, I'm not saying I want, like, fucking... I want a drama. I don't need, like, Philadelphia, but with Ernest. But, like, I, I think about, you know... The G, the awful glad it's raining part of like goes to camp and stuff like that, where you really feel for him as cartoony as he is, and there really isn't anything like that here. Mm-hmm. 
I agree, and I think like him like realizing that he's one of the sole reasons the school might get shut down, and like there there could have been like a point where he like willingly tries to leave, and then the students convince him to not. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, Master of Disguise or Impressions? Uh, he does like one impression of this movie, I and mean, he does like Unist, but that's really not there. Uh, and this is like we mentioned earlier, we don't see N- Aunt Nelda in this movie. We don't see any of earnestisms with the disguises and is that a bad thing i don't you know what honestly i feel like the lack of that in this movie made me realize that i'm kind of ambivalent towards it like i don't really care if he if he wears the disguises or not rarely has that ever been one of my favorite parts of the movie like honestly this i could see us taking that off the list after this like i don't think this this movie wasn't, like, so good without it that it proved they were inessential, but that was not at any point a thing that I thought this movie needed to be better. Okay. I think I'm just going to, like, mark it in, like, red and say we're going to consider this for the next film, but we might end up taking this off completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, also my pitch for the Legion of Ernest does hinge on that, so maybe it is essential. Let's just keep it in conversation. Uh, Rimshot? I can't, like, I can't believe I'm going to say it. Okay, so, like, this movie doesn't have Rimshot in it, and it would have been better with Rimshot. That's, like, absolutely true. But also, it's, like, at no point when I was watching it was I, like... Like, right again, I was watching it, and I was like, fuck, man, this could have used Rimshot. Rimshot would have improved this by a lot. I I, I feel like Rimshot would have made it better, but at no point was I, like, desperately missing him. I think two movies removed, I kind of feel like it has revealed to me that as great as he is, as beloved as he is uh, by all mankind... I don't think he's essential. I could see taking him off the list. I'll still probably include try and include him in the pitch at the end, but I don't think we need a rim shot. And I, I feel sick to my stomach when I say that. Um, okay. But I, I think it's true. So we're two movies removed from rim shot, and we have one for and one against. Let's keep him on the list and see what the next movie says. And if the next movie were like, nah, I didn't really need rim shot, then maybe we'll take him off. Um, but this movie in particular, I think we kind of covered it earlier where we're talking about him, uh, Ernest having the pig, Mowgli, as a sidekick mm-hmm. or his nemesis, and either would have worked kind of well. Uh, I think, like, we could have replaced the rimshot role in this movie with the pig, and it would have been fine. So I'm mm-hmm. in agreement with you on that, but I do still see, like, a room in this movie for, like, an animal sidekick slash bigger animal role. Okay. Ernest has to hit rock bottom. He does in this movie. Could have been better. I do think that's... I do think that's still essential. And the hater, I mean, with without a hater, this movie would have been... What is this like, movie? <laughs> completely, it, like, up the creek. It would have been nothing. It would have disappeared into thin air. So, like, yeah, I think that's essential. Like, it's pretty clear that, like, if nothing else, the presence of the hater can hold the movie together at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a shitty hater and the shittiest hater we've had yet. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a great argument for Hater. We keep that in. Uh, So that is the end of The Essentials. I did want to bring up something that we've seen as a consistent throughout the movies and talk about it, uh, because I don't know if we'll ever get a movie without them. I think we will in Goes to Africa. But let's talk about the two-character trope, just really quickly. Uh, We have Gerda and Bobby in this movie. We we have expressed our love for Gaylord Sartain, for Bill Berge. What do you think about the two-character trope? Is that an essential... I think I think it is. Like, would this movie have been better without them? No, no, no. Well, this movie would have been nothing without them. Again, like the hater, this movie would have had n- no plot at all. 
if it wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. I do think it's essential. I think that, like, um, it's a nice unifying element that makes the movies feel, like, not necessarily connected, but feel, like, of a piece. And I think that, like, there has to be some other characters that can carry some of the weight so that it's not just entirely on Varney's shoulders the entire time. And I think, like, mm-hmm. when they're done well, they're really good. I, 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 and I do think when, like, that they're mishandled, it kind of fucks up the movie a little bit, like it does in Rides Again. Here, I, I think they're, they're kind of in the middle of my, of their, uh, the spectrum of quality of the two characters. I, but I do think it's something you need. I think it, because it is one of the most consistent tropes, it really would, I don't think it would feel like an earnest movie if it didn't have them. And if you're right and they're not, they don't have that in Goes to Africa, then we'll get to see a real test of whether or not that's essential. But I, I say for now, I would be totally down to add them to the list. I don't know how we word it. I'm just going to write down two characters trope. Okay. And I think that'll make sense to us as earnest scholars. And then anyone who reads these notes will be like, what? Mm-hmm. Fair enough. That sounds good to me. So cool. We'll add that. Is there anything else you want to add or take off the essentials list or make an argument for? Do we want to, um, what about like a, do we want to add, um, how would I word this? Do you want to add opening credits sequence? Hmm, now that's a question. Because that wasn't in this movie, and we did complain about it. Yeah, I do want to add it. Right. I think that's essential, because I think like that, that sets the tone. Like, when we watched Scared Stupid, and we were like, yeah, Ernest reacting to old horror movies. And even though Rides Again sucked, we were like, oh, cool, Ernest is doing history stuff. Yeah, and the funny yeah, song. Yeah, I, I think... I, I think that's essential. Yeah, all right. Then I say add it to the list. I think that that, that is... You gotta have that sort of goofy opening credit sequence to really set the tone for an earnest movie and again as we saw in rides again it can like add to the film when it's weaker mm-hmm. all right uh so opening credit sequence to set goofy tone that is added uh there's oh man i can't believe i'm dragging this this podcast out more but so we have okay we it's okay had this thing people love it we had this thing earlier on in the the era of the podcast uh, where on the list for a while we had Ernest breaking the fourth wall and addressing the camera and self-awareness. And we removed it mm-hmm. because it wasn't really in the other films. It comes back in this. Did it prove its worth or did it just reveal how inessential it, how correct we had been for saying it was inessential? I think it's the latter because I, I think we were confused at first because we weren't sure if he was talking to somebody or to the audience. Because mm-hmm. it transitions from him talking to people to just talking to a camera. Also, just rambling to himself, and we've seen in other movies him ramble to himself, and it sucked. But I think, like, the ambivalence of, like, you know, is he doing this, is he doing that, I think it just didn't matter. I think, like, at the end of the day, we were like, it's whatever. And I think this movie kind of proved that we didn't need that in the first place. I think we were right uh, by establishing that. How do you feel? I agree. I just feel like we had to bring it up because, you know, it, oh, for it sure. was the return of it. You're right. We should definitely should have uh, established that. So I think... Like, we're doing the thing where we pay back to our bits, pay attention, Coke Sams. <laughs> yeah, we have agreed that that is not something that would be good in Ernest movie moving forward, and we were right for doing that. Okay. Is that it? Do we have, Are we done with we've done. We've done the essentials, uh, unless there's anything else you got. No, I'm good. All right, then we're moving on to high and low points. So, I think I'll start us off. Uh, since you seem to be getting tortured wit's end. Uh, so let's start off with low points. Just get those out there. We'll end on a high note. I have repeatedly mentioned earlier that the old Cupid play 
freaking sucked, and I hated it, and I was cringing, and I was getting upset, and the whole only woman character using her womanly wiles as a good thing is awful. Yeah. I mean, that is my ultimate low point. I do have another small low point, but that's my ultimate low point. I agree with you, I think. I agree with you. I think that is the low point of the movie. I think it's the worst sequence. I, mean, I do have other things I want to shout out. The overall trope of Ernest being unconfident driving the movie, I think, is bad. I think there's a bunch of stuff yes. that's not, that's like kind of a missed opportunity. I mean, all of the non-payoffs, uh, like I said, all of the missed opportunities of like not seeing him graduate, the tuba sequence not being as good as he could have been, all that stuff is lo- are low points for me. But I think like the one sequence that's in the movie that works the least and was the most kind of, I mean, it wasn't as, we'll get to comparing it to another thing, it wasn't as uncomfortable as some other stuff, but it was, like, the one part of the movie where we kind of, like, instead of being, like, confused or amused or just cackling, like, madmen at the insanity of this movie, we did, like, kind of groan, because it's, like, it really is one of the only things that of consequence that character does, and it's such, like, a... Like, I mean, the the she did not have a fully fleshed out character, but up until that point, her character seemed to be that she was, like, smart? <laughs> like, and then it's like, why is is this it? Like, why couldn't she just come up with a play or something? Yeah, I agree. All right. My other, I agree with all of your other shout-outs. Uh, my other shout-out was the demon Nazi teacher, uh, just because of the absurdity of it and how it just ends with her eating the fly and it never gets paid off. Like, I... I dislike that more than like the cowboy stuff and like all the other stuff didn't get paid off because it just it felt degrading uh yeah to like a movie with like teachers like I, maybe i'm giving this in a modern tone where like teachers are these essential heroes uh that deal with so much crap but like this this one teacher character that we've never seen before turning her into a nazi and then turning her into a demon and then never resolving that just felt bad it's another weird inexplicable nazi reference like the i am joseph mengele line from yeah. goes to camp it's like uh, why is that there yeah I, I that's another thing where i feel like those read harsher to us because we're in well now 2021 but you know like we've lived through like this current political moment in america and so it's like it, it ain't so funny to reference nazis if you're just bringing them up like and not making a point about it yeah exactly yeah okay right. uh so, so we're, we're in agreement on the low point you want to get to the high point Sure. Okay. What do you, what do you got? Uh, my high point was the motor, the uh, the motor making the noises. I mean, it didn't. It it ended the movie in a, a bad ending way, but I I thought it was a funny bit, and I think like the montage of him destroying that vacuum in the most violent way possible was hilarious, and I really liked it. Hmm. I think my hmm. What is my high point? I. I... Uh, hmm. You got this. Made me laugh the most in this movie. I believe in you. I, honestly, this is such a weird, specific thing. But, like, I just really like seeing a pig wearing headphones. I'm sorry. I gotta follow my instincts and go with <laughs> just the inexplicable image of a pig in headphones. It delighted me. I, 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 I know I'm, like, <laughs> a parody of myself, but that that is what I'm, what I, that's my high point. The, the height of my enjoyment of the movie was when that pig showed up with those headphones on. All right. Well, uh, you and I, we will fight to the death over this till uh, the end of times or until somebody else watches this crazy, wacky movie. 
Uh, so I think we need to introduce our uh, special guest to help us settle this debate. Uh, Nate, turn it to you. I would like to introduce the honorable, most scientific. Drum roll, please. Wheel, DeGrasse, Tyson. Ho! Oh. What do you? So you've heard the you've heard us make our cases. Uh, what do you think, Wheel? I don't think I now I disagree with him, but he has agreed with me. <laughs> and the high point of this movie is the pig in the headphones. Which you know what? Now that another person person holds this belief. Uh, I see now that it was wrong, and I was wrong. <laughs> but, alas, and ultimately I don't think it's going to matter, because we're going to have to match these up against our seri- our franchise total high and low points, and I don't think either of these are going to beat those. Well, let's find out. Uh, but thank you, Wheel. Uh, even though, after you told us your answer, you commented on how nothing matters in the scope of the universe, uh, which we understand, especially after seeing this movie. Uh, it actually helps our sanity with this movie. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Can you imagine him watching this movie? His brain would explode. I mean, that's why we only brought him on for the podcast. You know, it's it's like how people, those memes about, like, giving, like, warheads or, like, flaming <laughs> hot Cheetos to, like, Victorian orphans. That's what it would be like if, if you showed a scientist this movie. <laughs> so we spared you, uh, Wheel. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, so the best bit for this movie is the pig in headphones. Uh, good job, Nate. <laughs> I'm ashamed of myself. Uh, okay, so okay. The, let's start with uh, the low point. Uh, our general series low point is the the gratuitous threat of assault from Ernest Goes to Jail. Uh, is that better or worse than a uh, woman using... The only woman character using her feminine wiles to do something in the old Cupid play? I don't know. I'm of two minds. That made me much more uncomfortable, the, the, the one from Goes to Jail. Um... But, one, that's in a better movie overall. But, two, that character, you know, the the woman that is involved in that scene gets more to do in that movie than Maisie does in this movie. Like, this is... I feel like this sequence isn't as bad in isolation, but it is also her only real starring moment in the movie, and I, I don't know the answer, but I wonder if that makes it worse. I think it might but i have a counterpoint in that before the bank teller i I forget her name but she was a bank teller before Mm. she gets to that close gratuitous threat of assault with nash she gets her tire flat and she yells to the sky that she won't be a victim anymore that's i believe that is after that but you're right that does happen so it's it's just in general not a great portrayal of female characters and i and i hate that you know two men are saying that on a podcast but uh, yeah, I I I think I'm gonna leave that. I I mean I feel like that's like I, I also like I don't know. I feel like over time we've got, cinemas and art has gotten better about stuff like this Cupid scene and about giving um you know girls more to do in stories. Whereas there are still lots and lots of big deal movies that basically have that scene and deal in that same sort of cheap uh usage of of you know assault the way that that scene does right so i think it's the, that's the worst that's worse i don't fucking know dude this is impossible we've, we've put ourselves in a in a discourse prison from which we cannot escape 
I think we're just going to leave it there and uh, just transition to our high point of the series, which again, from Ernest Goes to Jail, citing that Ernest Goes to Jail is a polarizing movie. Ernest doing the vaudeville scene where he bites the pen in court versus Ernest just going ham on a vac... On a, oh no, I lost. Versus a pig in headphones! <laughs> yeah, you were making the... You thought we made the right decision. You, you were mistaken. No, no, no. We are in hell. <laughs> Yeah, no, the the pen is better. It's yeah. better because it's a real scene and it's not just a pig in headphones. What is wrong with you, Nate? <laughs> this movie it's clearly has better. driven us insane more so than Rides Again, which we did not think was possible. No, I don't, I shudder to think what's going to happen to us over the rest of this season. Oh, God. It's definitely the pen scene, yeah. right, Josh? Please don't turn the heel on me and try to argue that it's the pig, or I will I will end this podcast forever. No, no, I think even Wheel deGrasse Tyson would agree with us, despite his infinite knowledge about how everything is the same, that this is better. Okay. So that's it, right? We're at the end. We're free now. <laughs> well, uh, we, unfortunately, have to keep going on this journey, so let's pick ourselves up, let's get back to it, Let's let's push forward through this mess and hope that the next movie will be better and blow us away and uh what is that next movie nate come on and slam and welcome to the jam come on and slam dunk Ernest is the movie <laughs> i mean you know i i'm starting to get high hopes now i think that movie will be like i think there's there's a bright light ahead of us nate and it's covered in basketballs I'm excited. This was uh, this was a, a real gem. I had a, a blast the first time we watched this together. I'm actually very excited to watch this movie again. I think I think it's going to be a wonderful respite from the the uh, the nightmare that goes to school turned out to be. <laughs> well, uh, we thank you, listeners, for bearing with us throughout this three hour or so episode. We appreciate you. We're glad we have you here. So, yes. Join us next time when a beautiful basketball angel will pull us out of the underworld and bring us back into the light. From myself, Nate, and our special guest, Wheel DeGrasse Tyson. Until next time, remember, there's a right and wrong in the universe, and the distinction is not hard to make. You know what I mean? All of you, Vern. But now you gotta move, Vern! <laughs>